0: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: And Tanner and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was NBC Chicago last night as the White Sox had a two-run homer at the worst possible time for the Cardinals. That was an ugly one, guys. KK looked really good through the first five innings or so. Yeah, five and two-thirds innings until that one pitch. And then things went south for him. Oof. And this is obviously going to be where the discussion comes in of did Mike Schilt make the right choice there? Should he have left him in? Should he have taken him out? Let's give the requisite knowledge of where we were at that time, and then we can get into the decision point itself, alright? So, KK at that point is through five and two-thirds, as you said, Alex. His pitch count is right around 96 pitches. His previous season high was 88 pitches, so all of this is knowledge that they've got in the dugout. Andrew Vaughn's coming to the play. He's a rookie. He's got a ton of power. He's had some ups and downs this year. I thought it was Ricky Vaughn. It's similar, a little oh, okay. different. okay. Waiting for the Both Mohawk. powerful, but a little waiting different. Waiting for the Mohawk, but okay. Vaughn so far this season has a 540 OPS against righties. He's really struggled against right-handed pitching. Well, that's good. We had a righty on the mound then. Not quite. He has a 1000 OPS against lefties. KK is a lefty. Oof. So the Cardinals go out there, talk to KK. Here's what Mike Schilt said, that they had their conversations with KK prior to that decision to leave him in against Andrew Vaughn.
4: Didn't love the matchup with Vaughn with him, um, but still had command of what he was doing. Obviously got Craig out there. We just wanted to make sure he treat him like it was um, pretty much 0-2 the whole at bat. And we'd take our shot with Garcia, who had uh, already, you know, come up with some traffic. And KK, had, you know, he didn't look like he was real comfortable with KK, seeing the ball really well. You know, he said, yep, I feel, feel like I've got more left. Demeanor was great. He's in control and um, made a pitch. You got to put a good swing on it. So they leave him in
3: 2-0 count hitters count. Here we go. Boom, pop, Homer, two run, Homer. We know what goes from there. I thought he said he was going to treat it like an 0-2 count, not a 2-0 count. Well, he treated it like an 0-2 count. Unfortunately, it was a 2-0 count. Next batter walks on five pitches. Ponce enters the game. We know the rest. Cardinals lose five to one. It didn't go well for the bullpen once again. So KK struggled in that at-bat. He ended up doing the thing that you can't do. He gave up the home run. Alex, I was complaining to both of you last night. I was like, how
4: could you yeah. leave KK in on you this were, You were how? whining. You were whining. It was unbearable. It was. Felt like I was talking to my daughter. KK, can third time talk? through the order. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> she can. She does this. <laughs> oh, sounds yeah. like me. And <laughs> last night.
3: Also sounds like yeah, me last It's kind of what I hear when you open your mouth. KK, third time through the order, has a 1,000 OPS against. Andrew Vaughn against lefties, 1,000 OPS. What do you think's going to happen here? However, I will give credit where it is due. There were no good options. He was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. Mike would. there was no good decision to make there because your bullpen outside of Gallegos Cabrera Reyes stinks right now. So... I get it. I don't totally hate leaving him in there. I probably would have gone to Ponce, but it very well may have resulted in the exact same thing because he couldn't get anybody out last night either. Would you make of it, Alex? It
4: felt like they were trying to delay as much as they could to get Ponce in there. So that's the part that I just don't understand when you know what that matchup looks like and you delay it. I mean, we even saw the delay of him forgetting to bring the translator out to the mound. Like, yeah. you know, that was a way to just add 10 extra seconds to Ponce throwing to warm up.
0: It's like forgetting your keys, you know?
4: Yeah, like you do the bucket check. Wallet, phone, keys. Translator, Translator. let's go. But with that being said, I'm fine with him being out there because KK was dealing. And, I mean, even the jam that he had gotten into, he still found ways to get through those throughout the game. Like, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was the fourth inning maybe or the third inning where he had a runner at first and second with one out and he found a way to get through that inning. So I was good with it. It really felt like... KK made a pitch that he was not wanting to throw. And, and I'm not, I have no idea what was going on there, like if he read something wrong, but when he Didn't threw that, conviction like it. when he threw that pitch to Vaughn and it was gone, like you saw KK's face, it was like, oh my God, that's not where I wanted that ball to be. So I can't, I can't, ha- you know, I can't crush the guy for performing the way he did, because at the time, it's two, it's two to one, right? Like your offense needs to give him a little bit of a support there. So as much as I want to butcher That performance, you can't because he gave the Cardinals what they need. The offense didn't provide.
3: Yeah, It's a little bit of both. The offense definitely like they deserve a ton of criticism today. They haven't been good the last 11 games, really. But a lot of that is because of injuries. And I can I can go ahead and forgive them for that. With KK, he just needs to be better. They need more out of him. And while they have injuries in the rotation, I mean, we said before the season, we thought he could be a legit number two for them. Well, last year he proved it. He has not been that for them no. this year at all. And if you look at the ERA, maybe it looks as if he's masqueraded as a two. Uh-uh, Now, when it comes to the innings. This is not what you expect out of a number two starter. Here's what he's done so far in innings pitch this year, Alex. Three, five, five, four, five, three, five. That's what you expect out of John Gant or Johan Oviedo. Okay, that's enough out of you about John Gant. Not KK. KK is supposed to be the guy that gets you deep into the game, gets you through six or seven consistent quality starts. He doesn't have a quality start so far this year. And so did he need to be better yesterday? Yeah. I'm not going to let him completely off of the hook. He needed to be better for the Cardinals when they know that their bullpen is fried right now. You didn't have Reyes or Gallegos available last night. They were... Completely unavailable. Mike Schultz confirmed as much after the game. Cabrera was available if they ended up getting late into the game with a lead. He didn't, so he didn't throw. Alex, every Cardinals reliever not named Gallegos Cabrera Reyes this month prior to last night had an 8.9 ERA combined. 8.9. They have allowed two walks or hits per innings pitched. So when they come in, when they have an inning, you expect two base runners to be on every time that a reliever not named Gallegos Cabrera or Reyes is in the game. This is where the problem starts. Mike Schiltz didn't trust his bullpen to be able to get out of that spot, so he had to leave KK in that spot. And that's something that I don't know how you fix it other than if you have a ton of urgency to be able to go find somebody that is available now I don't know how many guys are available in late May
4: not a lot especially for teams that are contending and I don't know how much you're trying to um pick guys off of rosters that are at the bottom of their divisions because I can't imagine a lot of those guys are doing great this season you know I heard Stoltz talk about this on the fast lane yesterday on my ride home and he was talking about before you start clamoring for John Moselak to go to the trade market and start pulling for guys into your team Like, let's really analyze what we have right here with these guys. So as much as we sit here and say, this bullpen is awful and they need help. Okay. Well, let's see if they are though. Like you can't be hesitant in something like this. If you're Mike Schilt, you got to throw them out there. And if they're not going to give you the performance, then you finally know. I mean, what, who do we, let's, let's go through this real quick. That's, that's an interesting exercise. So who do
3: we feel like right now is on the roster that we are not sure one way or the other yet. Let's go through this together. Hennessy's career. We all like Hennessy's. He's had a good season yeah, for the card. And I'm
4: not concerned with Hennessy's. I, I'm fine putting Hennessy's no. out there in every situation because if he's going to, if he's going to miss the uh, plate, he's going to hit somebody in the face. So take well, some competition. Future out. Andrew Miller. Junior Fernandez. No, no, I, I, no. I don't know who this is. I was told this guy was going to be a closer for the Cardinals. And, at one point I was told he was, he was one of the top prospects for a while for the Cardinals. And then all of a sudden he comes up and he's just. He even home runs. So yeah. I don't know who he is. I don't think he's a part of the solution. Let's put it that way. We all love Giovanni
3: Gallegos. We like John Gant. Ryan Helsley is super inconsistent. I don't know who. The, yeah, I
4: don't know what this is. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon. I think nope. we know what Daniel Ponce de Leon is. Do we, though? Yeah. Because we've seen performances of him where he comes in from the bullpen and he's lights out and gets you through the inning. Or we get something like yesterday where he can't get through an entire inning. It's two thirds and he gives up a run. I think we know at this point that he's super inconsistent. I think he is similar. He's
3: long man. Ryan Helsley when he's on, he's really good when he's not on. It looks like it did last night and he can't find the strike zone. He's nibbling around the edges. And I think that's who Daniel Ponce de Leon is Alex Reyes. We love Alex Reyes. Yeah. Walks way too many guys. I don't care. He's perfect in
4: situations. Tyler Webb. Yeah. I think we know what Tyler Webb is. Cody Whitley. No, don't know who he is. I know T-bones TK Odom. Oh, that's not fair You put him in the circle You tried to put him in the circle of trust after one I game I said he should
0: be considered one I, game. Didn't, I didn't say to vote Tanner, him in
4: You disrespect the circle of trust oh my god. I think Cody to Whitley To be fair,
0: we didn't even put Cabrera in the circle until yesterday
3: That funny. was an accident Yeah, that is an accident <laughs> I thought was he was in already. by us.
4: <laughs> Jake Woodford uh, no, you know. I, I, don't know who, I don't know who this is either I think
0: we I know what Woodford is He's I, not a major league pitcher That's what I know he is
3: so who's the guy that you feel like you're like Man, if we just see a little more of him He could be the answer for the Cardinals I don't think that guy exists on the no, roster right. I'm not
4: saying they're going to be the answer for the Cardinals I'm saying before you start going into the trade market You have to rule people out And I think but it's I think time I, maybe, maybe this is I our I think different- you two are ruling <laughs> I think people ruled out, him out. <laughs> <laughs> That guy's not here You two are ruling people out But it, it, it's a month of a bad stretch Like we had a month of a great stretch from Ryan Helsley And that's why Tanner put him in the circle of trust Right. He, he The thing is He's your fourth most trusted reliever right now. Well, that's the thing. He's obviously not because people want somebody else.
3: Nope, but he is, and that's the problem. That's what I'm saying is your fourth most trusted reliever right now is a guy that I don't trust in big spots. I do not have a good feeling in my stomach when Ryan
4: Helsley comes into the game right now. It's probably gas.
0: Maybe. (laughs) I feel good when he's out there just to mop up a game.
4: It was and mop, up mop up the game, meaning, oh, he's going to give up three runs, but we'll probably get I mean, through it. It's like
0: 10-1 we're losing, but it's fine if he gives up Well, three that's more. our
4: entire bullpen. And his
3: last yeah, other than the back three. Since the start of the 2020 season, he has appeared in 33 games. He has a 5.4 ERA. Guys, I think I have a pretty strong indicator on roughly what ryan helsley is a strong indicator of not putting him in the circle of trust oh for,
0: i'm never gonna live that down am
3: i nope so this is why like i hear what Stoltz is saying i'm with you alex in general like i was all in favor of the cardinals finding out what their outfielders are this year i don't feel like there's anybody that has given me enough so far to be like oh that could be interesting maybe they're the answer for the cardinals in the bullpen yeah and so, yeah, it's it's urgency time now for me. And maybe this changes if Miles Michaelis, he goes down to Dr. James Andrews and he finds out that everything's all hunky-dory.
4: Don't think that's going to be what yeah, happens. I don't think you take that trip if <laughs> things are going to be hunky-dory. But I think you can make a Zoom conference if you want it to be hunky-dory. If that was the case, then maybe John Gant slides
3: into the bullpen and now he's one of your four trusted relievers. Well, that's
4: great for the bullpen.
3: But that that's not going to happen. So it's just really hard for me right now to be like, oh, everything's going to get better. It's going to be fine. They don't need anybody from the outside looking in. Unless they're thinking about bringing up Liberatore or Thompson. Or
4: Tommy Parsons. We're done with you in bullpen.
3: Come on.
4: We're done with you in the bullpen. And it's Thomas Parsons to you. Check his roster name. Do you guys disagree with that? Do do you feel like they still need to find out on these guys? There's a couple of guys that I still need to find out on. There's, There's a Well, you, the guys that you shot down for me, I'd like to see a little bit more of Ryan Helsley, Cody Whitley, junior Fernandez. These are the three that I'm sitting here going, okay, but who are they? Right? Like, what are you going to be for this bullpen? Because you don't want to have the same. um, You don't want to have the same yip factor in trading away relievers or moving on from relievers that you do into hitters, right? Like we don't, we all don't want an Adola, another Adolis Garcia if you move on from one of these bullpen pitchers. And I'm not saying they're going to turn into that, but before I sit here and say, oh yeah, go out there and see if you can trade for I, I don't know, this is yeah, just a name the reliever Yeah, the yeah. Craig, Craig Kimbrell from the Cubs like, and I know it's not going to happen, but before I sit here yeah. and say, go trade for this guy. Well, you don't want to see that little arm dangle before he goes out there <laughs> no. and throws? I want to know what these guys are. Like, I am done with like, I'm done with the Tyler Webb experience, right? Like, I, I, I
3: could DFA. I, I like Tyler Webb. Seems like a great dude, okay. and he had some really good moments okay. with St. Louis. Well, I could DFA to, him tomorrow, and I don't think it's impacting the I'm team. I'm not trying
4: to ruin the guy's career here. I'm just saying. He like, could go
3: somewhere else. Okay. I hope he goes on to have a long, successful I career do. elsewhere. You were going to say it's I'm just, just done Pittsburgh, here. Weren't you?
4: And you pointed up when you said, like, I can move on you from him today. Yeah. It's over. The <sighs> Webb experience is over. What's Spider Man going to do then? <laughs> He's going to go pitch for the Pirates. <laughs> He's got no web.
3: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kiley. Plenty more on the Cardinals throughout the day. Today, we're going to be joined by uh, former White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper Co- coming up at 1215. I'd be curious for him. Yeah. When you've got a bullpen that you just don't trust anybody outside of your top three guys, what does that do for decisions like last night with KK? We'll talk to Don Cooper about that coming up here in just about an hour. Chris Getz, the White Sox assistant GM, will join us at 115. Coming up next, though, man. There is a national analyst for the NHL that said something very interesting about a player that he believes the Blues should look to acquire via trade. Oh boy, here we go again. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie Taylor. to come back from a call
0: distracted. here. Oh, Ferrario said something about his awesomeness, and then I How lost track of mine. How is that distracting? because I, you know, you know, Tanner. It I back. worked
4: in here with BK and Jamie Rivers, who can be very distracting. <laughs> wow, and that's, I that's never true. missed an open return.
0: Come to, on now, I listen to, to your show. I never,
4: I never butchered former athlete's name. I was, uh, I never uh, forgot neither. my name. Maybe really, or, Mr. Tony Walarusa?
0: New pronunciation. <laughs>
3: With Alex Ferrari and Tanner and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. All right, so the Blues are officially in off-season mode, and that means the national analysts are getting all their takes off oh, yeah. on where the Blues should go from Hot here. Hot take central, baby. How they are able to recoup from where they were in 2021, and that also means Elliot Friedman is among that group. And Elliot Friedman is an awesome writer. He does great work up in Canada. He has a podcast and a piece that comes out every week called Thirty One Thoughts. I appreciate his awesomeness, and It'd it's. It's, it's excellent work. So Elliot Friedman on his podcast was talking about the blues, basically doing their post-mortem similar to what we did yesterday, Alex. And I thought his thoughts were really interesting. I thought his thoughts. I thought his comments were very interesting on the blues. He started out by talking about doug armstrong and the aggressiveness that he expects from him this offseason
5: after a finish like this one and you know that that's the kind of the philosophy of the organization if i was a player on the st louis blues i wouldn't feel incredibly comfortable about what could happen obviously i think some players are closer to untouchable than others but you know it's hard not to look at this and say what could they do to me they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the offseason because they won't think that this will be acceptable.
4: He's not wrong. And look, Elliot Friedman has a great relationship with a lot of front office members around the National Hockey League, specifically Doug Armstrong. Uh, They've had Doug Armstrong on their podcast multiple times. What do we know about Doug? Doug is probably one of the most aggressive general managers in the National Hockey League when he needs to improve his team. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the draft where they traded for Braden Shen. Same can be said about Oscar Sundquist. Same can be said about Ryan O'Reilly signing Tyler Bozak. The track record of what Doug Armstrong has done with this team when he knows that there's this cup window open has been aggressive. So going into an offseason where you were underwhelming in the expectations for what the team had this season and going back to last year. I mean, you've been bounced in the first round for the last two seasons. Despite what people believe, the championship window is still open. You still have the core in place. So if I'm Doug Armstrong, and I think this is what Elliot Friedman's getting at, if I'm Doug Armstrong and I view this offseason and I say, okay, so we got some hurdles to get through because we have a flat cap and you have Colton Pareko coming for an extension sooner or later. We got to lock up Thomas and Cairo as restricted free agents. We have some roster decisions to make, but we know that those guys aren't difference makers. We need to go out there and get ourselves a difference maker. And I think that's what he's looking at with this move for Doug Armstrong. There's two areas that need to be improved the goal scoring and the protection in front of your own net. So being aggressive this offseason, I think, is number one on Doug Armstrong's checklist. Well, look at just recent history, right? For the Blues.
3: You go back to 2018, that offseason, and the Blues, they ended up finishing fifth in their division. They missed the playoffs for the first time in six years. What was the response to that by Doug Armstrong? Hey, we don't have the center depth that we need. Let's go get all of the centers. And that's what they did. They Mm -hmm. ended up getting Ryan O'Reilly, and they end up signing Tyler Bozak. Boom, your center depth is great. We know what happens the following season. Then they win the Stanley Cup. They basically bring back the squad for the most part outside of, like, Pat Maroon, right? And then they end up later on in that fall going out and making the trade for Justin Falk. The next year, you lose in the first round. How do the Blues respond? We got to change our defensive core. We got to get a little bit, a little faster, a little bit better offensive on the power minded. play, offensive minded. And they go out and they they end up getting Tori Krug. That's their response to the Alex Petrangelo decision. And later on in the offseason, they signed Mike Hoffman. He almost overcorrects in some ways. If there is something that goes wrong that he deems to be that is why we struggled, that is how we ended up losing in the postseason or missing the playoffs as they did in 2018, he finds a way to almost go over the top to fix that issue. I expect that to be the case this offseason as well. I don't know what the thing is going to be because he could choose one of probably three or four different areas on this team that he could overcorrect to fix. But I think that's going to be what he decides to do. There's also some hard decisions that Doug Armstrong is going to have to make, and Elliot Friedman talked about those on the thirty-one podcast, thirty-one thoughts podcast as well.
5: I just see the Blues as a team that takes a timeout because nothing's going to happen in the short term anyway, mm-hmm. but starts to say we have to make some hard decisions here because that's also a no BS organization. Like they speak pretty honestly internally there. I think they're going to. Talk about some very difficult decisions and say, okay, do we have to change the direction? Of our group.
4: I think that starts with the identity and we'll hear from some of the players as we move along here today because they're doing their kind of uh, exit interviews with the media as we speak uh, but I was listening to the beginning of it and David Perron talked about kind of the identity of this team and trying to figure out where they're at and he talked about how right now it's a buy-in from everyone like regardless if you want to play this style or not play this style you have to if you want to have success because that's what wins Stanley Cup so that's going to be the first part of the tough decisions for Doug Armstrong and the coaching staff. Where do we go from here? Do we stick with this speed style where the offense and Tori Krug jumping up into the rush and Mike Hoffman? Or do we go back to the heavy physical style? But I think also where he's getting at is you're talking about two big names this offseason. You're talking about Jaden Schwartz and you're talking about Vladimir Tarasenko. Those are the two big decisions I assume Elliot Friedman is looking at with this blues roster. Do you bring back Jaden Schwartz, who's 28 years old and is probably going to command somewhere between five and a half, six million a half, $6 million, or do you go a different route? And do you expose Vladimir Tarasenko and try and sway Seattle to take him? If he matches your identity moving forward, those would be the big decisions, I think. And look, you can go a bunch of different ways with this. You can go the defensive side if there's big decisions on that route of moving on from Scandella or Krug, wherever you want to go with this. John us. Hoffman, Bozak. Exactly. He's got a lot of them. Resigning these restricted free agents. Like, do you move on from a Zach Sanford, a Sammy Blay, an Ivan Barbashev? What happens with this expansion draft? There are a lot of big decisions that are going to group into what Doug Armstrong has to do. But I think that also matches into a big move to significantly upgrade this team in the offseason to try and keep that cup window open.
3: And the one way they could do this, or at least one of the many ways that they could go about this, is deciding, you know what? We need a refresh down the middle. We need. We love Ryan O'Reilly. We think Braden Shin deserves to be a top six center for us, not a winger. That's where I know, Alex, you think that he's best suited. And we love Robert Thomas, but we think we can upgrade that spot. Well, Uh uh-oh. Elliot Friedman did bring up the elephant in the room. Jack Eichel, potentially out there for trade for somebody. Does he think that the Blues could be of note for that? I could see St. Louis
5: saying to Buffalo, what do we have to do? to be in the Eichel conversation here. Now Buffalo might not want to deal with them again. Mm -hmm. You know, I I could see that they have some good young players there. I could see them doing not a rebuild, but what can we do to re-energize ourselves here?
4: All right. So let's go down this hypothetical path. Curbs was on with us when BK was out. I think it was that Friday where he even brought up maybe trying to make an effort for Jack Eichel. I forgot when he was on. The, I forgot so when I he was on So I bring it up, air. and everybody's like, "No, BK, you Yeah, a you're an idea. Idiot. yeah you're I just remember Kerbs off- bringing it up. Yeah, Kerbs talked about it, and we're like, "Man, that's such a great idea." I mean, I wish somebody else would have brought that up here. But uh, hey, man, honestly, <laughs> it's fair. The starting <laughs> the starting point, I I think with this move, has to be Robert Thomas. Absolutely. So you you get to the point where you got to decide. It. Maybe that's another one of those big decisions. Is Robert Thomas a top six centerman for our future? Because if not, maybe you start to look at trying to acquire Jack Eichel. He definitely is a significant upgrade. I worry about the winning atmosphere that he has not been a part of, and then you plug him into a winning atmosphere here, and does he have that commitment to play the style that Craig Berube wants to play? Because that's another Eastern Conference hockey player. Um, And and I also worry about the cap situation, because it's more than just Robert Thomas that you're going to have to get that done, because that's $10 million you've committed. They'd have to eat some of the money. Yeah, they would have to eat some of the money, which is more pieces going to yep. the direction of Buffalo. But even if they eat some of that money, remember, you got to find a way to lock up Colton Pareco next or after next season. So there are some significant moves. But look, if you're going to make a big move, that might be the biggest move that's out there to bring in a guy who can score you 30 plus goals in a season. He's a point per game
3: guy. Yep. I mean, we talked about David Perron this year and what he was able to do out on the wing and. I don't know if Eichel fits what Craig Berube wants to do. I don't know if he would fit that dressing room. I don't know. There's a million different questions that would have to be vetted, and the team would have more info on all of this than I do on the outside looking in. Yeah. There are questions about Jack Eichel and whether or not he would be a fit here. But if you get positive answers on those questions, the guy is unbelievably productive. Yeah, He is 25 years old. He is a superstar player in this league, and you would have the potential to then go one, two, three, down the middle of your your lineup center-wise, O'Reilly, Shin, and then Jack Eichel, and you've got the elderly statesman with O'Reilly, you've got a little bit younger guy with Shin, and then you've got your future with Jack Eichel. What would that mean for your future roster building? It, it would make it a little more difficult. No doubt about it. There is no way for me to sugarcoat that. But it would be an aggressive move. Yeah, It would be something that absolutely shakes up the makeup of this roster. And it's hard for me to say that I would be opposed to it. Yeah. Again, it would always come under the assumption that army has already done the front end leg work, right? Where he decides he is fit a here in St. Louis. And that's the hard part that we just don't
4: know. I think you asked the question too, if you're Doug Armstrong, can Jack Eichel play a wing? Because right now you need a scorer on that left side. And Jack Eichel's a natural centerman. If I'm trading for Jack Eichel, he is a center for me. Period. End of story. Unless he can score goals on the wing for you.
3: I'm not moving him. This is a $10 million a year centerman. If, If I'm trading for Jack Eichel, he is who I'm building around now. That that guy is a franchise you don't trade for a ten million dollar player to change his role to make him be something that he might not be. I I, I would if if that is the plan, if you just want a left winger, there's other guys available that If that's that are the out
4: case there. then, then I wouldn't make the move for it. Because then you're pushing a six and a half million dollar player and Braden Chen to your third line, and I just don't know if that strategically is smart. For Doug Armstrong, I'd rather find a guy who can score me goals on the left side with Ryan O'Reilly and David sure. Perron. Can I take you down a tinfoil, please? I T-Bone love it. when you take me down a tinfoil, path. We got the t- the uh, tinfoil open. Oh
2: yeah, we did. The new world order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream, and Earth is actually flat. It's Ferrario, not, not, don't forget the tinfoil hat.
4: I didn't bring the tinfoil here, but. Rather than Jack Eichel, can I interest both of you guys in a St. Louis native? A net front no Yeah, I don't think he's St. St. Louis native. Oh, a- I'm, I'm interested. How do we get that? <laughs> yeah. Nathan much, McKinnon? Can we get him? Pretty much trade everything. Can I interest you in Matthew Kachuk, boys? Well, yeah. Okay, well, just hear me out here c- for a minute. C- can I get Brady with him? No, you can't get Some both of them. package No, you can't get both of them. This, this, this ties Come in, on. I promise you. I spent a lot of time with this tinfoil. So, Jack Eichel is going to be traded this offseason. I think we all can agree with that. Buffalo's moving on. Calgary needs a new identity. Calgary needs a fresh new look. They need a superstar. They have one in Matthew Kachuk, but maybe they need somebody better. What if Buffalo and Calgary go one for one and they switch up Jack Eichel and Matthew Kachuk? Now you're saying Ferrari. Huh? How the hell does this tinfoil include Kachuk to the Blues? That's what I was going to Well, Matthew have Kachuk, as my Kachuk is a restricted follow-up. free agent after next season. <laughs> Let's all agree that if you're somebody named Matthew Kachuk, you're going to Buffalo and you're playing a year and you're saying, I'm not re-signing with you guys. But then, what I mean, they have his rights. Dance. Doesn't matter. If, he does, if he's going to sign there, then the Buffalo Sabres are just going to have to move him. Or he's just not going to play. Oh no, he'll play. <laughs> you can also give him an offer sheet. Okay. So Matthew Kachuk refuses to play for Buffalo. He says, I want to go to St. Louis. You throw money out there and you say, fine, we'll bring Matthew Kachuk here. Rather than go for Jack Eichel, boys, this season... What if we have one year of patience? And let Calgary and Buffalo do the magic for Jack Eichel, and then you get Matthew Kachuk the, the following when season. When has
0: patience ever worked?
3: <laughs>
4: yeah, that's it says it works all the time. Certainly didn't for no. Wait, wait, no. no, oh. true, no patients worked for finding that number one sentiment for the Blues too, when they got Ryan O'Reilly, didn't it? Tyler Bowes. Oh, no, not Tyler Bowes. I think so. Here's the thing with the patience. I think you're talking
3: about two years at a minimum for Matthew Kachuk You could take that bet down now. We're we're, yeah, we're out of like the this. You act like this is a foil bad
4: thing. tinfoil take. This is a great tinfoil take. It, so he really uh, shot it down, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he's like <laughs> you could turn the music <laughs> off on this one. <laughs> 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 You I'm can all turn in favor of bringing back
3: both of the Kachuk boys. Like forget just one of them. You can get both of them and let's go. I, I'm ready. Let's do this. I just don't think it's very likely. Uh, Matthew Kachuk is that's the guy you build around. If you're the Calgary Flames, forget the refresh. He is the refresh. He's the guy that you make the figurehead of your team for the now and for the future. Um, so I I would be very surprised if they decided to let him walk and even if they did, that's two years from now when you're potentially talking about this. So I've heard better from you.
4: Whatever. I thought it was pretty good. It's great. Someone said Ferrari needs to read off the teleprompter. No, that's what happens. And then you put a question mark at the end of it and you say, I'm Ron Burgundy. 65780
3: is the Air Comfort Service text line. Somebody said, BK, how are you going to tell Alex that he's wrong? And then you put Jack Eichel on the third line. Call him third line. Call him the first line. I don't care. He's a sinner.
4: Yeah, someone said they all play the same minutes. No, they don't. No, they don't. That's part of the problem that they've dealt with this year. (laughs) Mike Hoffman wasn't happy that he was playing 10 minutes a night rather than 18 minutes a night. Some teams they do. This team, they definitely do not. (laughs) This team, and that might be why they need a little bit of a refresher so that everyone's buying into the same system.
3: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers. Answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Better to forget it. Coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast.
2: Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: The air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. All right, guys, let's start with this one. Mike Schultz gave an update last night on Miles Michaelis. Here's what he had to say about the Cardinal starter.
4: Miles is going to get a second opinion on Wednesday with Dr. Andrews, and then we'll evaluate what that those findings look like. You know, clearly our hope is he reinforces what what our group has seen, but uh, rightfully he's getting a second opinion, and we'll know more at some point Wednesday or Thursday. Ah, had to be Dr. Andrews. Yeah, what Vote people are... to go see. That never uh, that never works in the player's favor when they go see Dr. What Andrews. The hell did our medical team see?
6: That's the
3: thing. <laughs> like he's going to go get a second opinion and hopefully he confirms what our medical team sees. Yeah, because every time that I've heard of a player go see Dr. James Andrews, the first thing that comes out is, "Hey, he's going to be back next week. It'll be fine." Oh, thank goodness. Better to forget it. Miles Michael has thrown his final pitch for the Cardinals this season. <laughs>
4: oh god this hurts i'm betting it I, you come back from an injury you miss all of last year you go through the training pro uh, process you have the injury hit you again you miss time you come back you throw one game and then you're out that does not that does not give you the warm and fuzzy that out oh, no, he'll be back in a couple of months it will be fine and now on top of it you're going to see dr andrews and look maybe he's just going there because he's the best but I'd love to see the percentage of pitchers that go see Dr. Andrews and come away with good news from it. So I'm going to bet it. I don't know if we see Michaelis again this Even year. Even if it's
3: quote-unquote good news, it's relatively good news. He doesn't like, have to have surgery. Hey, he doesn't have to have Tommy John surgery. So instead of missing 18 months, maybe he's out for like six months. That's That would be good news relative to a lot of these things.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Alex. I'm going to bet it. I think Michaelis has thrown his last pitch this year, and that's kind of concerning.
3: Can I be the positive guy here? I'll say forget it. And it's not because I believe it. You're lying. (laughs) Just Uh, trying to make people like you. It's not because I actually believe that he's going to throw another pitch for this Cardinals team this year, but because they really need him to throw another pitch for the team this year. They need him to be ready, like, tomorrow. No, they
4: don't, because then that's more of a reason to go get Max Scherzer.
3: I don't know, man. team that I'm watching right now... I don't know if they're the team that needs to be going to get Max Scherzer right now. What? Yeah, we'll talk about that a little more here in a little while. That's
4: that's, that's a deep tease. That's a really deep tease. Six, I don't know five, if that's to is the
3: Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Alex. We talked about this briefly yesterday. Ville Husso will enter next season as the Blues backup oh goalie. Ville Huso will be the Blues backup goalie going into next year. He's got T- one year left on his deal at
4: $750,000. Tanner, when you whisper bad takes, I can't hear them. So keep them to yourself. Oh, my guy, there. Ville Huso. Um, I'm going to bet it because one, he's $750,000. And if you're going to go out there and try and upgrade your team, I hate to say this to people, but your goaltending isn't the problem. Bennington or Ville Huso. Ville Huso. Was not great in the beginning of his season, but if you look at games five through seventeen for him this season, I think he only had four regulation losses and one overtime loss. And those four regulation losses: three to Vegas, one to the Colorado Avalanche, and an OT to the San Jose Sharks. But in every one of those games, Blues were in those games. It, it it's the same thing with Ville Husso that it was with Jordan Bennington. I truly believe the play in front of him did not replicate the outcome of the game for the goaltender. So, yeah, I would bet it, and I would strongly bet it, that Billy Huso is your starting goaltender next year. Now, maybe they add some veteran depth, because John Gillies is an unrestricted free agent, and let's be honest, nobody really knows who the heck John Gillies is. Yeah, he I thought was, you made that up. He was kind of the third-depth goaltender. Man. Um... You'll have Joel Hoffer and Colton Ellis, but those are younger players that I would imagine are going to be AHL bound. So maybe you bring in a guy who is a third string goaltender that can jump into play if you need him. But now, Philly, is your backup next year? I'm
0: with you, Bennett, because I, I'm kind of with you. If you're going to go upgrade the team somewhere along the line, you have to not have as big a spending. And if you have a backup goalie with what was it, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, yep. there's where you don't have to spend. And Huso, I'm kind of with you. I the defense let him down in front. His rebound control scares me to death, though. Uh, looking at him, he's a solid backup that could give you, what, 20 games maybe?
4: Who got the only shutout this year for the Blues? Well, it really was so. And let's also look at it this way. You're going into a normal season, knock on wood, fingers crossed, you you maybe have five or six back-to-back games
3: i was about to say you don't have to knock on wood and then i was like no no no! you're gonna be no, no, the no. pandemic yeah, Please no, don't yeah no, no we're not doing that no,
4: i will not be ko the pandemic um you don't have as many back-to-backs which means you're not utilizing your backup goaltender as much i would say in a normal season jordan bennington's probably going to play you 60 to 65 games so yeah if it's 20 games for for Ville Husso, i'm fine with that because he needs to get you probably i don't know 20 points in those 20 games for you I don't feel good about it. I got to be honest with you guys. No, I, just, cause, awesome. It's because
3: you hate shutouts. I'm not exactly yeah. fact thriving with confidence when Villejuso is out there, but I will bet it that he's going to be their backup goalie. He's 750,000. And even if he doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies every time that he goes out there, and I'm a little nervous when he's in net. He's great. Do, he's I, look Fine. do I look nervous? I do. When he's out there, he's fine. He's I don't think he's great, but he's $750,000 for a backup goalie. When you've got some cap constraints going into next year and you know, Jordan Bennington, when the games matter is going to be the guy that's in net. So as long as he's adequate and if he grows a little bit from this year to next year, he's probably your best answer at that price to be your goalie. I do not think he's going to be your backup in 2022, but going into next year, I expect him to be that
4: guy for and, you.
0: And he's awesome in his post-game pressers.
4: That's a good point. That's a good point. He
0: had maybe what, three of the best uh quotes from this season?
4: Yeah. What were they?
3: He's wonderful after games. I don't remember, <laughs> but they're good. Six five seven eight hosey air comfort service X line for better to forget it. Uh better to forget it. I like this one from the 314. Matthew Liberator will be in the Cardinals bullpen by August. Matthew Liberator will be in the Cardinals bullpen by August. For what it's worth, so far this year down in AAA, he has made four starts for Memphis. He has allowed he has a 5.5 ERA in those four starts.
4: He's about to go play in the Olympic qualifiers too. Yeah, with the U- Team USA. Uh, I'm going to forget this. I think Lee, I don't know if they're going to rush Libator. I would say your better bet is Zach Thompson to be in the bullpen by August. I think Liberatore will see. The majors once Memphis's season is completed and he'll be a part of that kind of September call-up situation. Whenever they're done, I-, I would just imagine that your hope is he's a part of your rotation next year. Zach Thompson has struggled. Yikes! Well, that's, that's a good sign. Can't wait for that. Seven point uh... five ERA. Oh, it's fine though. We, we, starts we don't talk strong. about the ERA. It's it's, it's a useless stat.
3: Twenty-two base runners in twelve innings.
4: It's uh, those are useless stats. We will look at WHIP, Oof, right? Yikes. WHIP is what we look at. Correct? Yeah. Well, it's two. <laughs> oh well that's better than one <laughs> no. Huh? no we don't want that this works the other way <laughs> oh it's better than five so no i'll forget this
0: i'm gonna forget it too I, august no i think he may be a september call up but i'm kind of with alex to me you're gonna slow play libertor and thompson for that matter in my my opinion just not to start their service clock either so i'd say about september's when you see those guys
4: plus i'd rather keep those guys buried in the minors and continue to perform down there so hopefully they could become a trade piece for uh max scherzer
3: I'm going to bet it. I think he ends up coming up sooner rather than later. I think at the trade deadline, this team is going to get a refresh of its bullpen. I think Libertor is part of it. I think that you're going to see somebody from the outside coming in as being part of that. And then as this rotation, fingers crossed gets healthier, you're going to see John Gant move to the bullpen. And then suddenly, instead of having three guys that you trust out there, maybe it's six guys that you trust coming out of your pen. So I, I will go optimistic again here and say that uh I will bet it. Last one for you guys from the 618. Better to forget it, the Blues let three top nine forwards and one defenseman on this current team go in the offseason.
0: Three top nine forwards and a defenseman. Well, so that your would be Hoffman,
3: Schwartz, and Bozak among your forwards.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess he would be considered a top nine. I would I would consider it yeah, well, I mean, I guess your third line. I'll and bet then- this. Because even if it's not Tyler Bozak, I think Bozak comes back. I, I think you might lose an Ivan Barbashev in the expansion draft. I think you might walk away from a Zach Sanford who played in the top nine this season. goes uh, a possibility. You might walk away from Sammy Blay. Uh, you might trade away a Robert Thomas or a Jordan Kairou. I, I will bet this because I, I think don't we... Don't trade Kairou. No, please don't trade Kairou. <laughs> I don't think that will happen. But, and then the defenseman. I mean, look, I, I can, I'm pretty confident in saying that I don't think Carl Gunnarsson would be back as an unrestricted free agent and then you got Vince Dunn and look Vince Dunn couldn't get into the lineup towards the end of the season and Jake Wallman Nico Mikula these guys have performed and then you also have Scott Perunovic so yeah I'll bet
0: this i think i'm with you i think i'm gonna bet it too i'm not quite sure who the top nine forwards will be i do believe hoffman schwartz i just don't know who the third's gonna be quite yet but i feel confident that there will be one yeah i, I am too i'm it's confident there will top be one nine too. guys that and, are gonna be available and i'm with you gunnerson's probably not back dunn's not back i think you're gonna lose dunn in the expansion draft whether you want to consider that a loss or not i don't know but yeah i'm with you i'll bet it
3: i'm with you guys as well i i feel like it is a fait accompli at this point vince dunn will be somewhere else playing in 2021-22 I think that that's going to happen. So there's your defenseman that'll be gone. And we talked about it. I feel like you've got Hoffman definitely going to be gone. I'm expecting at this point, Jaden Schwartz is probably going to outprice himself from what the blues are going to be willing to pay. And then one other guy, as you both mentioned, there's a lot of options there. So I'll go ahead and bet this as well. I think that the Blues will lose at least three top nine forwards and a defenseman from the current roster this offseason. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, David Perron. Is he part of the short-term plan for the Blues or the long-term plan for the Blues? We'll get into that in about 15 minutes. Questions and answers, though, coming up next.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: 780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, do you think Paul Goldschmidt will finish this season with at least a 275 batting average? Paul Goldschmidt right now, as of today, he like is 250? batting 255. Do you think he gets to 275 by the end of this season, Alex?
4: I think so. I mean back of his baseball card has 275 pretty much every season for the blue or for the Cardinals so
3: he's batting um, 310 by the way in the month of May yeah I, so he's heating I'm, up as he normally I'm does.
4: amazed at how many people aren't happy with Paul Goldschmidt right now and maybe it's because Nolan Arenado has been so good that they're wanting Paul Goldschmidt to be at that at that level but look at the reason you went out and got Nolan Arenado was because Paul Goldschmidt wasn't going to be that player but if Paul Goldschmidt is just a step below Nolan Arenado you're in pretty damn good company for a 3-4 3, a three four punch in your lineup. So, yeah, I say 275 is achievable. Goldie had a rough start. I think it was Which fair. He to he always does.
3: Yeah. I think it was fair to be critical of his first month while also acknowledging, as you just did there, Alex, like, We've seen this before from Goldie And typically by May and certainly by
4: June As the weather starts to warm up You see him perform a little better So, And he always ends this I mean the baseball card stat's a real thing Like when you go look at it And every season he's around the same numbers There's a reason for that There's
3: he, only been one year where he's been below Basically since he entered the league Only been one year where he was below 285 And that's it was his, his first year. season here in St. Louis oh. um, His rookie year he wasn't a full-time player So that's why I didn't include that one But since he's become a full-time player in the big leagues, his only season below 275, or 285 was 2019. He was 260 that year, so yeah, I fully anticipate he's going to get back up to 275 or above.
0: Yeah, I'm with you guys, and he's still hitting the ball really hard. I was it last night. He hit a line drive to left, and I think the exit velocity was like 110 or something.
3: The one that ended up like eating up Tim Anderson was hit really hard as well.
0: Yeah, he, he's hitting the ball hard. He, to me, he's become more of a contact guy. He's not swinging for the fences as much, and I think we're going to see that. So. I think we're going to see more of an average guy. 275, we'll, he'll definitely exceed that. I think he's going to be more. 290 and probably hit 20 homers, not so much
4: close to the 30. 636, you guys got to admit that Goldie was definitely not the all-star caliber player he was in Arizona. Well, yeah, but that's what happens when you get an aging player. Sure. He's not going to be them. There's a reason Arizona got rid of him is because they believed he wasn't going to be the player that he that was in the MVP conversations. But again, I don't need him to be an MVP. I need him to be a step below because you got your MVP in Arenado. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt is a very good player. Like the, just full stop there. He's a very good
3: player. He's not at Nolan Arenado's level anymore.
4: And he's not a top nine, Greg Amzinger first baseman. Okay, well, that was ridiculous. And Albert Pujols says, unbelievable. Which still, I, I really, I really hope Randy and Michelle ask him like why num- why nine, why nine yeah. and why not Paul Goldschmidt? Yeah. Can what, you please answer those two I, questions for me? I just want to know nine. Me. Like like why did Greg sit there when I'd be like, you know what, I'm gonna do the top nine first baseman in the National League because of those other teams they don't, they don't count what a list what is it, 15 other there's 15 total national league teams yeah we had two yeah. dodgers <laughs> yeah but, yeah those those six national league teams they don't they don't count
3: 65780 oh is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers uh from the 618 alex i'm curious your answer on this one who are some of the teams that you would expect to be in competition for jack Eichel's services if the blues are not
4: do you think there's a like a natural fit for Jack Eichel, well, look, every team is going to be calling about him, no matter what. Um, you look at teams that that need some star power. The New York Rangers make an awful lot of sense. They're going to be making a phone call for it. How many high paid players are the Rangers and the well, so Toronto it, Maple Leafs going to have? Well, uh, Toronto can't make it happen because Toronto's already in cap hell. Kind <laughs> of like, like yeah. I was
3: looking at the list of the top paid players in
4: the league the uh-huh. other day.
3: We have like three of the top nine
4: you know what's it's, ridiculous what's crazy is the new york rangers really don't have that many top paid players like artemi panarin is the highest paid player they have a lot of good younger players that are in the system um you know just going through the list here like uh, again i feel like everyone's going to be making phone calls the anaheim ducks are probably going to call for it uh you look at big market cities those are going to be the ones that always are making the phone calls to find out if they can make this deal work uh you Canadians will always make a phone call for it. Personally, I think it comes down to Philly and the Rangers. Those two teams are going to be the ones that make a serious push for Jack Eichel. And it just comes down to if they're willing to pay the price for it, because those teams are going to have to give up a lot for a Jack Eichel. Kind of like the Blues, but the problem is if you're the Rangers and you have all of these former first overall and third overall picks, they're going to be commanding those guys. And it's, I don't know if the Rangers pulled the trigger on it.
0: Could you see anybody that's kind of in a... I don't know if rebuild's the right way to say it, but could you see a team that's kind of getting ready to exit that phase of the rebuild to and make a big push start for him to go
4: championship? Yeah. yeah. The,
0: the team I'm thinking was like Detroit, but I don't know if Detroit's even there yet. De-
4: Detroit's far away still. I mean, Steve Eiserman, when he took it over, it's kind of like a five year plan before you're in that championship window. Um, you know, I can see the Ottawa senators making a push for him. Ottawa's a- Ottawa's a really good team right now that, that there are a couple players away. Columbus might be another one. What about a team like Minnesota? I mean, they're, they're Minnesota- kind of on that push now where they, they were a year ahead of their schedule, yeah. probably this year. Minnesota's problem, though, is they have a lot of money, too. Like they got Zach Parise and Ryan Suter who make a ton of money going into the next couple of seasons. Watch out for the San Jose Sharks again. It wouldn't surprise me if San Jose offers up a Brent Burns to Buffalo and says, hey, you take this contract. We'll take that contract. And, and look, you, try to shake
3: it up, see you if it a, works.
4: You get a player for player hockey trade, right? Like, you get a player like Jack Eichel on the San Jose Sharks team. Now they got to figure out their defensive situation. But if you get rid of a Brent Burns contract, maybe you can make it work. But they'd be a team I'd say keep an eye on, too. Interesting.
3: Uh, there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested. Yeah, he's, everyone's he's calling point a, a point per game player. He makes a ton of money, but you got to at least find out what the cost is going to be and what that would mean for your team. Yeah. So if, if you're a GM that doesn't call them, frankly, you're not very good at your job. And most of these guys are. So yeah. uh, I would, I would assume there's going to be a lot of interest in a player like him coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I want to ask Don Cooper. He was a former pitching coach for the white Sox, White Sox spent 20 years with them. He's a 2005 world series champion. When you don't trust Many of your arms coming out of the bullpen, like the Cardinals right now, where they've only got three guys that they trust. How does that affect decisions like last night with KK? Well, ask John Cooper about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, David Perron. Definitely part of the Blues plan for 2021. What about beyond that? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. (laughs)
7: This isn't any sort of situation where the Blues are going to go into some sort of rebuild. David Perron is part of that. To me, the way David Perron just continues to get better, you know, later in his career, and that's not to say he wasn't uh, good earlier... Uh, To me, extend them in two years to me would make a ton of
3: sense. That was Jeremy Rutherford yesterday with the Fastlane talking about what the future could hold for David Perron. And Alex, it's officially time to start talking about this because Perron is entering the final year of his contract that he signed with the Blues. He has $4 million next year coming his way. He's not a young man anymore. He's going to be 33 years old next year when we play the season. But God, was he good this year. And so you have a player that was the Blues' first point per game producer since 2002, almost 20 years. It's been that long since the Blues had somebody do what Perron did this season. I'm curious, what do you think? Do do the Blues need to go in this into this offseason with one of the priorities being David Perron is not just a, sh- a part of our short-term plan, which he absolutely is, but also should be a part of their long-term plan?
4: Yeah, I, I think you 100% go out and lock this guy up. I, I mean, look... Hockey players play from the age of 35 to 40 right now. And I mean, it's really all about keeping your body in the right shape. And look, David Perron is one of the best when it comes to keeping their body in in good shape for a long-term season. I mean, go back through his last couple of years. I mean, before he was a... Uh, available in the expansion draft for Vegas. He played 82 games that season. He played 70 for Vegas and some of those were healthy scratches. He played 57 for the blues in 1819, which I really don't remember the injury that took place for him, but look, he played all every game in the playoffs for them played 71 last year. So played all of your games for the blues last year. And then of course this season, I mean, he was on pace in a normal season to set a career in points, probably a career in assists and of course a career in goals. So He's 32 years old. He plays the way that the Blues need a player to play. And David Perron, in a lot of ways for me, is Alexander Steen. Like, he is the next Alexander Steen for this team. He holds his teammates accountable. He knows when things need to be right on the ice and how to fix different areas of the team. So, yeah, I'm locking up David Perron because for the next two, three years— He's going to be a 50-plus point scorer for this team. And then after that, he's a perfect player to have on your third line and contributing to the team in a championship window still. So I guess my next question would then be like, what does a contract extension look
3: like? For a player like David Perron, do you just stick with the $4 million per year and you, you continue with where he was previously because you just had one of the best years of his career. It's, it's almost difficult to know what does the AAV average annual value look like for a player like
4: Perron, yeah, to, Perron to me. Uh, he reminds me a lot of what like a Gabriel Landeskog is going to be this off season. And I don't mean the point production, but what I mean is a guy who cares more about the team than he does the amount of money he's going to make. Perron wants to get paid. Of course he's going to want to get paid. But look, I mean, he's had a very good career. I would imagine he looks at this team and says, OK, what do we need to do to make this a championship contender? Because he said it on the Zoom earlier. The only thing he cares about is winning is winning cups right now. That's what he wants to do. So, yeah, I would say you're looking at probably somewhere between 3 and $4 million per year. I'm sure he would probably do a hometown discount for this Blues team uh, to find a way to stay here and keep their cup window open. But, I mean, a 32-year-old who's still very productive – I mean, I would say, yeah, you're looking at somewhere between three and four per year. And honestly, if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm probably locking him up to a three or four year extension.
3: David Perron was asked about this earlier today. As you mentioned, Alex, there are the exit interviews taking place with the media today. Here's what David Perron had to say about the possibility of re-signing long term.
4: It's definitely something that I love the city and I love the guys. here. I love the, just the, the mentality of the team and everything about it. And definitely I feel comfortable. I hope they feel the same about uh, my game and the way it's going and uh i'm gonna keep working as hard as i can to keep improving find find little details in my game that that can make me make me a little bit more complete as a player trying to even keep adding to the leadership department all that stuff so of course it's something that um i hope uh we can get into but we'll see how it's gonna go and uh i think these are conversations that that we're not gonna have right now and we'll we'll, we'll see like as far as it's not in the media that we're gonna do our things but we'll see he said he can keep I mean, that that part for me is where he said he's gonna work on his leadership skills and work on his game every season. It, it doesn't sound like a guy who's just gonna sit back and say, No, nah, I've had the best part of my career and now it's just gonna kinda ride th- ride ride it out. He's a guy who sounds like a guy who wants to finish his career playing into his late thirties, early forties. So I don't know if David Perron goes into this offseason and says, Give me a contract extension. I think he's just basically gonna tell his agent, and this is me assuming here. I would imagine he's gonna tell his agent, like, hey, doors open. Anytime they want to discuss this, let's discuss it. And Doug Armstrong's gonna find the right time to approach this. But I mean, Perron's a core piece for this team, and to me, he's a reason why the cup window's still open. So I'm almost having a hard time coming up with reasons as to why you wouldn't do this. I don't think there are any.
3: You know, he, he was so good for you this year. He has amazing chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly. He's a fantastic presence within that that dressing room. It's really hard other than just age and money to come up with any other reason as to why you wouldn't want to re-sign David Perron. So for me, if you're Doug Armstrong, this feels like one of those where it, let's find the dollar figure and the the y- annual, the, the term, the years that would make sense for both sides. And if you can agree on that, he's the exact type of player that I would want to resign long term. I mean, I would I would probably try to keep it to like three years, three years 10 to 13 million something in that range Mm -hmm. that seems about rights to me maybe i'm a little off on what what that would be but that that wouldn't be what i would be looking for if i was still it was
4: funny too because he was originally asked that on the media availability and his first response was well because the question was posed to him you know do you look at possibly signing an extension and finishing your career here in st louis and he said well it's gonna have to be an eight-year contract then And he chuckled, but, like, he's not wrong. I mean, David Perron does scream to me like a guy who's never going to call it a career because he's always going to have that fight in him. And if he's not producing 60 points for you in a season, well, he's going to give you the hardest effort he can on the fourth line and make sure he's correcting what people need to do on the bench. And he's always going to be a power play specialist for you. So, like, that's why, for me, he is an Alexander Steen. So that's interesting. I I was just looking
3: this up because that's a great point on, on the Steen comp. Steen signed at the age of 32, a five year, 23 or excuse me, four year, $23 million contract. So it was $5.7 million per season. Are we underestimating the amount of
4: money that it's going to require to re-sign David Perron long-term? No, because I don't think he's going to command that.
3: I, I, and How come though? If you it, like, if you're, if I'm David Perron's agent, let me play devil's advocate here for a second. If I'm David Perron's agent, I would look at you, Alex. And I would say you, you're Doug Armstrong. Uh, my guy was your first point per game producer in almost 20 years. He has incredible chemistry with your top line center. And we saw what it looked like when he was out of the lineup in the playoffs. Your team crumbled as a result. You got nothing offensively. And Ryan O'Reilly did not look like himself, in part because my player wasn't on the ice. He's 33 years old. I get it. He's getting up there. But you just saw what he looked like at the age of 32. Why wouldn't he continue to be good at the age of 33 if he hit the open market after next season? I'm going to get five, six million dollars elsewhere. Why aren't you willing to give me five or six million dollars to stay here in St. Louis?
4: Okay, If I'm going to be Doug Armstrong in this situation, then I'm going to go back to you and say, OK, well, if he was that effective, where was it in the regular season, the entire season to where we finished fourth place. But on top of that, but Perron was good in the regular season. Oh, I understand. Season. I understand. But obviously, you didn't change the entire outcome of the season. But on top of that, does your guy want to go anywhere else? Because if I'm Doug Armstrong, I know that David Perron has always signed a contract here in St. Louis. We've exposed him. We've traded him away. We didn't resign him. And he's always come back. And right now we have a flat cap for the foreseeable future. And we are trying to put a championship caliber team together. Your guy's a part of, he's a key piece to be a part of this championship caliber team. But to make that work, we're going to have to get a contract that's a little team friendly right now, and I would imagine David Perron's going to want that the same. My guess is they meet somewhere in the middle, and instead of being a four million dollars uh, average salary,
3: I think it's closer to five. And instead of being maybe a three year deal, I bet you it's four or five years. And maybe that's that's the way they do it. We've seen this from Doug Armstrong in the past to be able to keep the money down. He makes it a year extra. He gives an extra year on the term, and you can get into a little bit of trouble down the road with that. That's where some of these contracts can be a little problematic, but he hasn't run into that too much. Doug Armstrong's been very good. They haven't had to buy anybody out in his time, but that, that's my guess. If there is something to be had here, if there's a middle ground, it's probably, hey, give him a little extra cash don't quite get up to that 5.7 like we saw from Alex Dean and then maybe give him the extra year on the contract. You sign as bonuses do
4: as well that go into it. You'll find a way to make this work but look at the end of the day, David Perron's a team guy and he wants to win cups. He said that in his media availability right now at his age, the only thing he wants is championships. So I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you go into this and you say, look, we're going to do this. We want you here, but we got to find some common ground of what's going to make it work for the foreseeable future with our team.
3: That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie, and about 15 minutes or so, man, Lance Lynn looked good last night and it would be really nice to have a player like that on the Cardinals right now. We'll talk about it in about 15 minutes. Coming up next though, Don Cooper, former White Sox pitching coach is going to join us to talk about what it is like when you don't trust the guys that are coming out of your pen. Don Cooper next on 101 ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. <laughs>
3: spent almost 20 years as the White Sox pitching coach. He's a 2005 World Series champion, and he joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We always appreciate him taking the time to hop on with us. Don, thank you so much. How are you doing today?
6: I'm doing all right. I'm in New York City, tending to some stuff. My mom uh, is in the hospital, so I'm just, I flew in, and uh, I'm just tending to stuff surrounding my mom. So, um, my wife is here also. I'm back home. I'm I'm in my apartment in New York City. Oh, we're sorry so to hear that, Donnie. Like, thanks so much. Right. Okay, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to talk. Actually, you, you guys are going to give me, uh, however long we do this, my uh, little baseball for the day, I guess. My baseball fix will be taken care of, so... I'm anxious to hear what the topics are, what you want to talk about. And let's have at it.
3: Absolutely. Well, we're we're thrilled to do that. Um. All right. Let's start with this because the Cardinals right now have a situation that a lot of teams go through, right? They have three relievers that they trust right now. Three guys that have been lights out all season long. The problem, though, Coop, is that the other guys that they're taking out of the pen right now, they they don't trust them. And so when you get into a situation like yesterday, the Cardinals have their starter. He's in a tough spot. He's a left handed pitcher. You got a righty at the plate and the righty at the plate is just crushing lefties this year. And they decide to leave their starter in because they don't trust those options that are available out of the pen when you're in a situation like that, Coop, uh, how difficult is that as a pitching coach, as a manager, to to try to find a way to trust those guys that have not given you a whole lot of reason to trust them throughout the season?
6: Well, let me be clear on this. You've got three guys out of, I'm sure they carry eight guys down there. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not mistaken. So you're telling me three guys they trust and the five other guys they don't? Because, you know, then, then my first thought goes, well, the starter's got to start going more lengths. And they've got, obviously, you're looking for quality efforts to keep you in the game. And they've got to go longer. Another thing that – and I'm not trying to tell the St. Louis callers what to do. You're asking me a question as to what I would want, and here's what I'd want. You know, my starter's to go deeper into the games. And certainly efficiency and the quality is going to get you there. That's, you know, the, if the goal is to go deep in the game, you got to have a plan to get there, you know. And, and, and it's got to be attacked, and let's get ahead, and let's get some contact, um, you know, you know and, and, and travel deeper in the game, giving us a chance to where we can bypass some of our weaker links to get to our stronger guys that we trust. In the meanwhile, dot, 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 we've got to find out of these other five guys, a couple, three or four, hopefully, through some work, through some uh, looking into what's going on with them and how they might be able to be more successful, you know what can we do to show up those guys? You know that, that that's my answer to a question if that was presented to me. You know on uh, 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 what I would have to do. Don, how what do you come to mind?
4: Don, how do you avoid trying? Or how do you avoid not putting pressure on the starting pitcher though if they know that they have to go longer in the games because of the struggles from the bullpen? That's
6: not that's not, press, that's, not that's not pressure. That's their freaking job description. Their job description when you're is a starter. For me, you're talking six, seven, eight, and nine sometimes. Carry the bulk of the game. That's why starters get paid a lot of money. But nowadays, people are taking their start. And I, and I have no idea what's going on in St. Louis. None. Uh, you see what happened last year, the people, and it's been happening. The starting pitchers are on earth. How many guys go 200 innings now? Not many. I think two years ago there was 11. It used to be a benchmark. So starters are, are, are by design in some cases going less innings and less pitches and in some cases you're using an opener and things like that um, so I mean, but, but to me if you're asking me to give you the characteristics or the common denominators or the job description of a starting pitcher one of the first things I'll say is you carry the bulk of the game you know every five days out there you got to carry the load that's not pressure you know that, that that's that's that's, that's pretty simple to me. You know, and, and listen, not every team is happy with all five stars. You know what I mean? There might, you might have some guys in some days where you have more questions and thoughts. Like, you know, listen, I, I know, I think the young man's name was Flaherty. He's pitching today against Giolito. He, he he was a guy that was out there for a long time for y'all. You know? I, I, I remember him. Seeing him pitch a couple times. And I don't know the other names, to tell you the truth. But, again, I'm going to repeat myself. The job description is to carry the bulk of the game. And leave little or nothing to the relievers. But nowadays, that seems to change. Oh, that's second time around. That's third time around. You know, well, well listen, I, I don't go by the numbers all the time. I like hearing the numbers. But I'm going to use my eyes. How's the guy starting pitcher throwing? You know, is he getting them out? Is he getting ahead? Is he efficient? You know, how many tough innings has he had in the game? You know, when did he pitch last? When's he going to pitch next? Does he get an extra day? There's lots of stuff. Th- and I'm a guy that didn't go. I knew what the pitch total was every day, but I didn't ruin my day by that. I used my eyes as well, you know, and I also had other factors and thoughts Combined in all of the decisions that were going to be made that day, you know what I mean? So, that's, that's what I got
3: former White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his thoughts on pitching matters. Um, Don, I wanted to ask you like, when you've got these pitchers now that are going, they're not going as deep into games, is some of that trained? I mean, you look down into the minor leagues. I I looked earlier today at a couple of the Cardinals minor league pitchers. They're they're throwing five, maybe six innings in their starts. Is some of this almost a mindset that that even in the lower levels they are being accustomed to throwing Fewer pitches, fewer innings, and then obviously that uh, I, I becomes think, a self fulfilling yeah. prophecy.
6: Yeah, well, yeah, I get your point. I get your question. I listen. There's a lot you're looking for development time for kids, right? You know, you, you're trying to get those young kids that you see in throwing five. And I don't know where they're at in their season. I don't know how many starts they had. I didn't know when their last spring training or their practice started and game started. So you build them up. You know, you climb. You climb with from two innings to three, three innings to four, four, and, and so on and so forth. And you climb with pitches as well, you know, uh, 45 to, 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 to 55, 60, you know, to 75. Then, you know, you, you climb. So, But I don't know where they're at, but I do know this. They're all organizations. It's a, it's a juggling app. You've got to get – the development means you're out there practicing your craft, you know, whether it's a pitcher, a first baseman, whoever. You've got to have a plan on each guy's development. And, you know, individually, well, does this guy have any arm history in the past? you got to know a whole bio. And then you bring him along and you develop. You develop the fastball command as best you can. You develop uh, the breaking ball, the changeup, all of the pitches you need, the holding the runners, you know, all of the things that are going to prepare a boy for getting in when he's in the big leagues and his responsibilities when he gets there. You've got to go over all of that. That's for sure. Um, I don't know. Some organizations may be different in the minor leagues in how they're handling things. Your mindset, I don't think it's – I don't know how much is done in the minor leagues, to be honest with you. But I know I'm seeing in the big leagues over the last few years, people taking out, well, why did well, – geez, how many pitches he got? How many innings did he throw? I mean, well, you know, listen, this is not a knock because Tampa, you know, is a very, very good team. And they, they took Snell out in the World Series, and he was throwing good. You know, and it's like when you do that, take a guy out when he's going good, you scratch your head a little bit. Now, wait a minute. Why would you do that? You know, um, it, 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 usually the opposing team will let you know, you know. But here's my kind of my motto, I guess. If you take a starting pitcher out and it, it makes the other team happy, and the other team's happy, that's not, probably not the right move. You know? I'm going to go, how's he throwing? Is he getting them out? And he's got the whole game. Once you're cut free of the innings and the pitches climbing, you're set free to go, you know? Uh, but, again, no, if you can look this up, I heard, I heard it a couple years ago. There was like 11 guys that threw 200 innings. Um, that means when that happens and your starters are pitching less, that means your bullpen is picking up the bulk. You better have a bullpen you like you better have a bullpen that can bounce back, you know, because they're going to be – it's got to be interchangeable parts because every day the game you, – you you know the guys that you want to use if you're down by a run, if you're tied, if you're up by a run. And if you're lucky enough to have a closer, really now you're only looking at eight innings to deal with because you know who's tonight, you right. know? Um, you know, so that's – that's kind of what I got on
4: that. Yeah, it's a good mindset to have, Coop. Now, I'm just curious, from personal experience in the past, a lot of people in St. Louis now are talking about, you know, well they're struggling in the bullpen, so maybe you start to look for outside help. Now, I know that's a general manager's decision and president of baseball operations decision, but when does that conversation start within the management group of the manager and the pitching coach of, hey, we might need to start looking...
6: you know, they watch. They watch. How all I can tell you is how I would be, what I would be thinking and doing. Yes, please. If I know I've got five weak, weak pieces out there, you're saying, and three strong ones, I'm going to try to keep those three really strong, keep them ready, and as much as we can for the big situations. And then we're going to have to roll up the sleeves and see if we can get those other five guys better. That's my job. That's the job. You know, and sometimes you will, and sometimes you won't. It depends on. You know, the quality of guys you got, where they're at. Or, or, you know, are they veteran guys or are they young kids? Young kids, you got to have patience. Veteran guys, well, you're acquiring those guys in the first place to get the job done. So I would be looking at myself is what I'm saying. Um, and I'd say, what can I do to strengthen our unit? You know, um, it, it might be, hey, I'm happy with me. Everybody's happy with three starters, but two are struggling. Well, I do I'm going to be really focused on those two guys that aren't doing well and try to get them stronger. And it's the same thing in the bullpen. But that would fall under my job description, what you're saying. And I'm not saying anything, trust me, about, about the pitching don't, coach. I don't even know who your pitching coach is, to tell you the truth. But I'm not. I'm not saying that. But I'm sure he's doing that, whoever it is. I'm sure he's saying we've got to look to get these guys better and investigate, is there anything we can do? What might we be doing? Let's come up with a plan. Because this is not, to me, you don't sit back and, oh, this will get better. No, no, you've got to be proactive and try to see if you can better.
3: It's Mike Maddox right now, Don. He, he's a great pitching coach.
6: you you got a hell of a pitching coach. Absolutely. yeah. He, 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 he's, a, he, he's a top guy. So um, I, it makes me wonder... And What's the quality of the guys you're talking about in the bullpen? What's the level of experience? You know, listen, it's a, it's a whole lot easier to find a guy to pitch one or two when he's that can pitch six and seven. Right. You know, it's a it's easier to find a reliever that you can plug in and maybe rejuvenate them or, or tweak them, you know, or, 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 or add a pitch or something like that, that you can get that guy going for an inning or two. Don't survive. But, you know, listen, that's why starters get paid more because they're in charge of 115 pitchers. Sure. Uh, Don... Don and Cooper is our
3: guest here on 101 ESPN. He spent 20 years as the White Sox pitching coach. And Coop, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Right now, the Cardinals, sticking with the bullpen, they're, they're walking 15% of the batters they face. If the season ended today, it doesn't, of course, but that would be the worst walk rate by a bullpen in the last 50 years in baseball. So they're, they're just not throwing strikes right now. When you have a situation like that, Coop, whether it be one individual pitcher or like the Cardinals right now, the majority of their bullpen, what what can you do on the pitching coach side of things to i mean just get the mindset back to throwing strikes consistently
6: well listen this, this is my personal I know what i know and i you know I do what i do i don't know what anybody else does but throwing strikes is not good luck and bad luck something ain't going right you know but let me tell you something i see a lot more guys trying now to throw hundred two miles an hour. Nowhere near the glove. I would prefer, you know, I've always said over the years, give me 95 to the glove. I don't want 97, 98, nowhere near You know, but now guys are always, you got harder throwers, people that are just really striving for more and more velocity. When I was weaned by hit the glove with movement and changing speeds with whatever you possess, whether that's 85, Mark Burley, or 105, or 102, whatever guys are throwing today, nowadays, you know, the, the, the plane throws. Um, it, it's still about hitting the glove. It's still about changing speed. It's still about getting ahead. When, if you're telling me walks or the thing, well, my first order is, we've got to start promoting more first pitch strikes and get some early contact with the first, second, or third pitch. You know, when a guy steps into the plate as a hitter, if we know nothing about that hitter, you get, the goal is to get him out. All right, great goal. What's the first part of that plan to get this guy out? It's got to be get ahead. It's not fall behind. you know. So let's get ahead. And if they hit the first, second, or third, well, we got nine guys that got gloves on. Somebody might catch him. <laughs> and if you get to 0-2 or 1-2, well, then you've got him by the throat. And if you let him out of that trap that you just got him in, that, you, that's your bad. You know, if you don't put a guy away after being 0-2 or 1-2, that's on you. You you, you failed to make a pitch, um, but again, sometimes I, I don't know the names and the people you got in the bullpen. I'm, I, everybody we're talking about is John Doe right now. Sure, you know. Um, so and some guys listen, walks walks suck. You know, uh, nobody wants them. You got to hit your way on. And, and, and again, though, I think part of, part of what I'm seeing with guys coming up, they're, they're, they're never going to give in. They're still going to throw. Strive for more and more stuff and more and more velocity when, you know, velocity only gets people out for so long. Uh, location and what you got got them out, get them out forever. You know, if you were locating your quality major league stuff in, out, up, down, able to drop a curveball in, they're able to use your changeup, you know, that's pitching. I think there's a lot more throwing going on and that's probably the best way to say it
3: we always enjoy our chats with don cooper the former white Sox pitching coach he has all the experience you could possibly ask for he's a world series champion he is a human and a fantastic overall human being and cooper wishing the best for you and the family right now yes. thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us hopefully we were able to take your mind off things for a little while talking a little bit of ball
6: I was just thinking that it was actually a, a nice little distraction from uh, what we're having to tend to hear. Thank Definitely. you. Best Absolutely. of luck for
4: your mom, Don.
6: Thank, thank
3: you, guys. Absolutely. That's Don Cooper. Spent 20 years as the White Sox pitching coach, and you can hear the amount of enthusiasm and passion I that he has it, for man. pitching. Uh, just an incredible human being. And one quote that he said there at the the beginning of that last answer that stuck with me, give me 95 to the glove, not 98, nowhere near it. How many times have we seen this year that be an issue for the Cardinals? You know, that that seems to me like something even sometimes when I'm watching Alex Reyes, I feel that way. Like Reyes has unbelievable stuff, but it's when he's like rearing back to throw 101, it's like man, it, it, you can throw 98. And it's not going to get hit. Nobody can hit you at 98. And sometimes I feel like he's almost rearing back a little too much. I'll tell you the
4: part that really got me too. um, And this refers to pitching, but it also should refer to the hitting coach for people that give so much crud to to Jeff Albert. uh, Us talking about the pitching coach and the pitchers, and we told him it was Mike Maddox. And he said, well, that's a hell of a pitching coach. So something must not be right with some of those pitchers. And it goes the same with hitting coaches as it does with pitching coaches where people want to blame them and say, "Ah, well, he must not be doing his job right. No, at some point you sit there and you say, ah, maybe it might be the players. And look, that's a World Series pitching coach right there. He knows what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. And he was talking with his hands. I can guarantee you he was talking with his hands (laughs) on that phone. Alex was mimicking like exactly what he thought that it sounded like. That felt like... A cu- that felt like Christmas dinner with the Ferrarios. And when he said dot, dot, dot at the end of it, I guarantee you his hand went dot, dot, dot. with. You're basically like pointing yes. with the
3: full hand. He was
4: pointing at a probably a wall or an empty room while he was talking with us. And I love the passion from Don Cooper. I love it, man. Uh, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get back to the Blues.
3: Jeremy Rutherford's going to join the show. Coming up next, though, as Don Cooper was talking, all I could think about was this pitcher. We'll tell you who that is and why the Cardinals could really use him right now next. On one hundred and one ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: And Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join the show here in just uh, under ten minutes or so, talking about the Blues' off season. As we were talking with Don Cooper, and if you missed our conversation with the former White Sox pitching coach, check it out on the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by I Promise. All I could think about is he's talking about pitching and throwing strikes. Good fellas. Lance Lynn. Oh what about that too. What? Lance Lynn. That's all I could think about was what we saw last night from Lynn, who was throwing like 97% fastballs, whether it be a cutter, four seam, two seam. He was changing up the speeds and locations. It was all fastballs, though, and it was all for strikes, and this has been the same guy that he has been as a pitcher really for the last almost decade now in the major leagues, and guys, this is the type of pitcher that the Cardinals are missing right now. If you could just swap Lance Lynn for... KK or Michaelis or whoever the guy is on the Cardinals right now that's supposed to be their number two starter man that that is exactly what they could use
4: yeah I mean without question now what's interesting though is I was looking at these numbers because he pitched seven innings last night and I'm thinking okay this guy's probably got seven innings every single game he hasn't been that way this year four and two thirds nine six five 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 six seven so look, Lance Lynn has been one of their best pitchers this season. And that's saying a lot when you got a guy who's got a no hitter and Lucas Giolito who's in Cy Young conversations. But Lance Lynn is I'll use the same term that I use for 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 hockey defensemen. He's predictable. Like you know what he's going to give you every night. How many guys on this roster right now can you say he's predictable? Especially the rotation. I don't think I Especially could say more the than rotation. one. Because even Wainwright, you can say he's predictable, but he's predictable at home. On the road, you don't know what you're going to get from KK KK's not predictable. And somebody texted in earlier and said, oh, give KK some leeway. He's coming back from injury. No, we're past the injury thing now. Like, now we're back into the stage of you're, you're on a similar cycle and you're not giving dependability. John Gant, at least, has given you something to expect. The problem is he's given you something to expect where you're scratching your nails off of your fingers. Yeah, But you have one player on your rotation right now that's predictable and I think that to what Don Cooper was just telling us is the problem.
3: I actually think you can make a case KK's also been super predictable so far this year. The problem is it's not the predictability yeah, that you're looking for. In it's, the wrong way. He cruises through three innings and then either the fourth or the fifth inning he starts running into trouble and he's out by the sixth. You know, like that's been KK all year long so far this
4: you year. You know what part of the problem might be with KK? Wasn't the time where he started to uh, kind of combust was when he was having problems with flies in the mound? Maybe that was, was it. It got yet? distracted. Get
0: distracted. does that happen every start? Eh, maybe. We just I do don't think see the flies.
3: KK sometimes gets a little frustrated especially when he doesn't get a call that goes his way it seems to get in his head a little bit and i'm not trying to play like armchair psychologist but i do think there is something to something goes wrong and then everything starts to go downhill from there for him i did want to get back to lance lynn here for a second because they had him and i think this is what makes it so frustrating is that what they're missing right now is what they had And this is a theme in a lot of ways for the Cardinals. Like you look at Randy Orozarena, what they're missing right now, they had in him. And we've talked that we've beaten that dead horse to death. But when you look at Lynn versus Miles Michaelis, right, that was a decision the Cardinals made. It was one for one. They let Lance Lynn walk. They signed Miles Michaelis. Michaelis signed a two year, $15 million deal. Then, the next year, they signed him to a four-year, $68 million contract. So if you look at where we are right now, the four years since that decision, Alex, Michaelis has made $46 million over the course of four seasons. $46 million. Since Lynn left St. Louis, he has made $42 million. You could have had Lance Lid for $4 million less than what you got Miles Michaelis for. Overall, over this four-year stretch. And by the way, Lynn's a free agent at the end of the year, if you wanted to, I don't think you would, but if you wanted to, you could wash your hands from it. You've still got two more years that you're on the hook that you don't want to be on the hook for right now with Miles Michaelis. If you could have a do-over, this would be the one. I actually think this would be a better do-over for the Cardinals than their outfield situation with a Rosa Reina or a Dallas Garcia or any of those guys. I think they would rather have Lance Lynn back right Real now because he's who they're missing.
4: It's kind of, this is weird how this worked out because it's kind of like the Benjamin Button disease for Lance Lynn. When he was when he moved on, he did not look good with Texas, the Yankees, or Minnesota. Well, I guess his first year in Texas. His second year in Texas, he started to get better. So when he moved on in free agency, uh, we weren't even talking about this. I mean, he was good.
3: He had, his first year in Texas, he, he had a 360RA in 210 innings. I would take that.
4: Well, and that's when it it started to trend in the right direction. I guess I look at 2018 between Minnesota and the Yankees, right? Like that's where you're looking at this and you're thinking 31-year-old guy, Mo made the right decision. And it's trending in the other direction right now with a 3.6, 3.3, and now 1.5.
3: So it was basically that one blip on the radar that that yeah. weird 2018 season. So it's, it's
4: kind of it's weird to look at because at the time you're thinking, OK, right, move because Michaelis comes in and look, he was in the Cy Young conversation and then injuries hit. I think the bigger factor with Lance Lynn is the fact that he's the type of pitcher that doesn't get injured an awful lot, yeah. right? Like he's a guy who's it's just the same old mechanics to what Don Cooper was talking about. Ninety three, ninety four, ninety five miles an hour. He's going to give you the same thing and he's going to give you 200 plus innings in a season
0: he threw 10 off speed pitches yesterday that's
4: out of like crazy. 104 pitches. That's, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's always like that, man. And I think I, I heard Jim Edmonds talking about it on the broadcast. Like, when he gets into a runners in scoring position problem, it's fastball, fastball, and fastball. He's rearing back. He's the mm-hmm. guy that will add a little more in those situations. But you save it for the right spot, yep. but it's also pinpoint accuracy, right? Like, he's in the strike zone with those, rather than other guys who when there's runners in scoring position, it's off speed pitches on the outside, and that's where it's going in the dirt, and Yachty's chasing it again the back wall. uh,
3: Listen, at the time, Miles Michaelis had a great first year. You wouldn't have done that over. And that was the season that Lynn struggles, as you're mentioning, Alex. But the three years since then, there's no doubt if you could go one for one, I think the team would like a do-over with that Lynn for Michaelis swap. They, They definitely would prefer to have Lance Lynn right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's ask Jeremy Rutherford what his biggest takeaway was from today's exit interviews. And I want to ask him, let's let's get his thoughts on that Jack Eichel situation. Earlier today, we heard from national analysts that, hey, maybe he would make some sense for the blues. And my tin foil idea? We'll skip that one. We'll talk to JR next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK
2: and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go.
3: Very happy to talk to our guy, Jeremy Rutherford. He is the Blues insider for The Athletic. He's been in on all of these exit interviews for the Blues players throughout the morning. Today joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JR, how you doing, man? Doing well, guys. How you doing? Doing all right. Sorry to get to you late. We had Don Cooper on a little bit ago, and Don Cooper is a fantastic talker. Good old, so. good old <laughs>
4: Italian boy, here, JR. He just likes to talk. So we took oh, a little bit extra sweat. time with him. Well, look, also, JR, we know what you're doing right now, and it's transcribing like uh, uh, pretty much, what, 15 minutes worth of interviews from five different players?
7: You know what? I think it was more like an hour, but I haven't got to the transcribing yet because uh, I'm uh, trudging through this uh, report card that should be posted uh, later this afternoon. I can't
3: wait. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that. Jr., what was your biggest takeaway from the exit interviews this morning?
7: Well, I think uh, the number one thing has to be David Perron. He was the storyline during the uh, series against uh, Colorado, uh, of course, the storyline being that he wasn't available because he was on the COVID list. And uh, so we got a chance to talk to him for the first time about that. Just a couple of things from that conversation. He said that, uh, you know, just shocked when he found out that the test was uh, positive. He was holding out some hope that it was a false positive, but then uh, realized that he did have a confirmed case of uh, COVID and the one number one question that's in everybody's mind. And I know it's, it's really a tough one to talk about because everybody's decision with whether to take the vaccine or not is up to them. But David Brown was asked, did he get vaccinated? And he said, yes. And so you look at the situation, the blues had three players on the COVID list, with uh, Nathan Walker, Jake Wallman and uh, David Perron and all three players were indeed vaccinated so just a tough break for the Blues.
4: Well, and The other thing that he spoke of, JR, is what you mentioned uh, with Carriker and Smallman yesterday and that's the possibility of extending David Perron, who of course is an unrestricted free agent after next season and BK and I were talking about this a little bit ago. Perron reminds me an awful lot of the Alexander Steen model on this team. Uh, He's a guy that's 32 years old, still very um, effective offensively but a guy who's going to provide more than just offense down the road of his career
7: yeah you look at him and he turns 33 on uh, Friday and as we've been saying for better part of this season it just seems like he continues to get better and I know that uh, in the past David Perron has joked that uh, he, he'd like to play several more years but today it was kind of funny on one of those calls I think uh, Luke Korak asked him about potentially re-signing in St. Louis and maybe signing a contract that uh, t- kept him a blue for the rest of his career. And David Prahn said, well, I guess that's going to have to be an eight-year deal then, <laughs> which would take him to age 40 or 41. Some people, right, though. Social... <laughs> Some people on social media didn't get the joke there. But uh... <laughs> but uh, David Prahn, I think he's serious. He wants to play for a while. He, he said that he's actually scared of the end and you know he strikes me as one of those types of players who would want to play this game forever so, so to me you know you look at this situation david Prime turning 33, do you leave him unprotected? You know, I think this situation is a no brainer right now. You get David Perron signed and uh, keep him a blue, and of course, keep him on that protected list.
3: What do you think that would look like salary wise? Because we were kind of going through this earlier. He's making $4 million per season right now. He, Alex made the comp to Alex Steen. Steen signed that four year deal worth about $5.7 million per year when he was 32, so about a year earlier than this would be. What do you think it would cost to keep david perron
7: well i haven't had that conversation uh, with david i hope to actually talk to him uh, in a little bit but um in terms of you know and again that is he's got another year left on his deal so that's it's not imminent but you know what you're asking there is what could it cost uh, to keep him with the blues and i don't think it's going to be as much as maybe somebody would think because based on his production i think that um he knows he's you know, one of the team's best players, he knows that he could probably go and get more money elsewhere. But if he hasn't shown that he loves St. Louis already, I don't know (laughs) what any player in blues history, you know, could do more than David Perron to show how much he loves this organization. So to me, uh, I got to believe that if the team wants him here, which, which they most likely would, that he wants to be here, he would make it work. And like, if I had to throw out a number, maybe it's a two year deal and it's in the same neighborhood uh, for $4 million.
4: Uh, that's interesting. That'd be a heck of a deal for Doug Armstrong, too, uh, to keep uh, um, David Perron around. JR, another player that spoke today, Jordan Bennington, and I, you asked him a great question, and I'd like you to provide kind of the answer that you got from Bennington, talking about the inability for the Blues to kind of clear the front of the net throughout this postseason and really in the regular season. I think that was the biggest bugaboo for this Blues team all year.
7: Yeah, to me, if you're going to you know talk to these players and, and find out what went wrong, uh, I think you got to focus on a couple areas. And while Colorado was definitely the better team, uh, the two areas that really stuck out are, you know, defending and, and clearing the crease. And, you know, a lot of times the Blues didn't give the Colorado defenders enough work to do because they didn't go to the crease enough. And, you know, that's the other side of it, too, is in the offensive zone, you know, getting to that area. I think the Blues uh, lacked in, in both areas. So I asked Jordan Biddington. What can the Blues do better? It seemed like there were so many seeing-eye pucks, Nathan McKinnon shooting from the point, uh, pucks getting deflected because Landis Goggs in front of the net, and it looked like the Blues defenders just weren't aware, or if they were aware, they weren't doing anything physically to get the Colorado forwards out of the way. And he said it is definitely something that you see from the Vegases, from the Colorados, and it separates those types of teams from the teams below them, and it's something that he feels like uh, needs some work this offseason. It's in the form of uh, bringing in a player who's more willing to do that or whether it's working with this current roster and getting them you know, on the same page, doing that type of work. Uh, it, it's definitely something George Bennington feels needs to be addressed.
4: And that's my follow-up question with that, Jr. because like it seems like the players that they have right now struggle with that, and maybe it is a commitment to the group that you have under contract. you got 10 defensemen under contract for next season, and some of those guys are depth pieces. Uh, do you see a scenario where Doug Armstrong says, look, we need to go out there and find somebody on the outside who can help this team in that area in front of the net?
7: I think they're going to have to, and I don't know how that's going to get done. You have a number of guys on the team with these long-term deals that I, I don't think are movable. Uh, you know, and, and not that you want to move them, but you look at a, a Braden Chen eight-year deal, uh, Tory Krug six-year deal, Justin Falk came here with a long-term deal. Like these are guys that are going to be here, so you can't just say, "Okay, we're going to." We're a little bit undersized. We need somebody to, to, to be able to move out guys in front of the net. Let's let's move this guy and bring in this high price guy. That, that's not possible. But I do think they're going to have to find somebody out there who's willing to come in and do this job. And the reason I say that is, you know, typically whether you're talking about net front presence in front of your own net or, or on the opposite side in the offensive side, guys just seem willing. It's just like that's what they go do. They go on the ice. You need them to go there. They go there. But when you do these interviews with Blues players night after night, week after week, month after month, we need to go to the front of the net. And then the next game, the next two games, nobody does it. Like, when do you quit believing them when they say that? So I just think it's a situation. I don't think the makeup of this team has many guys who are willing to do that role. And I think that it's something that the the management's going to have to address so
3: it's interesting you talked about what they're going to have to do this offseason JR because it seems like it's at least in play that they could get a little aggressive this offseason to upgrade what the team is missing right now and I was listening to Elliot Friedman on his 31 thoughts podcast and he kind of said the same thing like hey, it would not be a surprise to him at all if Doug Armstrong got aggressive this offseason and went out and acquired somebody that surprised some people and I want to put out on the front end this was pure speculation this was not him reporting that this was going to be the case. But, Jared, I'd like to play you a clip from that podcast of Elliot Friedman talking about one player in particular that he thinks maybe the Blues could have some interest in.
5: I could see St. Louis saying to Buffalo, What do we have to do to be in the Eichel conversation here? Now, Buffalo might not want to deal with them again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could see that. They have some good young players there. I could see them doing not a rebuild, but what can we do to re-energize ourselves here?
3: Now, Jr. I don't it, like you. You don't even have to go specifically on Eichel. I think we've had that conversation before. But the general theory of the Blues going out there and aggressively trying to upgrade their forward situation—do you think that's something that's in play for Army this off-season?
7: Yeah, I do think it's possible. I, I can ac- actually touch on Eichel in just a second, but I do think it's definitely possible because for the past year or so, you know, pre Alex Petrangelo, even even after. Doug Armstrong felt like the championship window is open now. And he showed that with the contracts that he extended and, and got the AAV down to a manageable figure to keep everybody under the salary cap and gave the guys the term. They have to win in the next couple of years, because in a few years, all those guys that we're talking about the Fox, the Krugs, the Shens, those guys are going to be 32, 33, 34 years old, still with four and five years left on those deals. So they, they have to be able to win now. So if you're Doug Armstrong and you watch this year, you know, yeah, you can talk about the injuries, you can talk about, you know, the the challenges with COVID and, and things like that, but you also can look at this team and just say it can't compete with the Colorados and the Vegases at, at this point. They need something different. So he's got a tough challenge because, you know, he's got a lot of his payroll spoken for but yet he's going to have to try to make a move that gets them back up to that level and so you know jack eichel the first question i ask when i hear that is okay where's the 10 million dollars coming from you know he can certainly make it happen you don't resign schwartz you move this guy you move that guy you know now the 10 million opens up um i just it would take a lot but the one thing doug armstrong has shown us in the past is he can do it like he can do it so it is possible. I don't see it, but I think that if anybody knows Doug Armstrong, you know he's going to explore it. JR,
3: we always appreciate the time. We'll be checking out The Athletic later on today to see what your report card looks like for this Blues team. We appreciate you joining us throughout the season as well. Seriously, great insight all season long. All the best as we get into these offseason months, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Yep, sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN.
4: Real quick, the blocked shots perspective, which I think is really interesting because you do have to correct that whether it's internally or externally. There's three guys that really, we all know, Jamie Alexiak's name is the one I bring up all the time. He's number 29 in the NHL in blocked shots this season. Mark Giordano was number 10. The We talked about him last year. That's right. Calgary captain who might be on the move depending on what direction Calgary wants to go. Here's the one that I didn't even think of. Alec Martinez from the Vegas Golden Knights. He's an unrestricted free agent. Now, I think he would probably want to be back in Vegas, but Vegas is going to have some cap hell to deal with, so could be another player be
3: 34. So he's getting
4: up there a little bit, but it could be another player that you look at and you say, okay, we need a presence. Now who knows what the contract looks like, but number one in block shots this season for uh, the Vegas golden Knights. Interesting.
3: So a few names there to, uh, to keep on the top of your mind as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to the white Sox assistant general manager and their director of player development, Chris gets about what it's been like to finally have a minor league season. Again, Chris gets joining us at about 15 minutes coming up Next. We'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: To the junk
4: draw with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, what do you have for us today, my all man? All right, boys. Uh, this might come off like a little bit of a homer-ish, but I am just a, You I, I know, I'm I'm done with Colorado. First of all, Colorado has just spent the last couple of days just sending out tweets and Instagram pictures, just trolling the St. Louis Blues. I mean, Okay, no, don't (laughs) don't I mean it. it, I don't blame him. You've moved on from the, like, you beat the team in the first round. Congratulations. You swept Swept the Blues. That's fine. But, like, I think it's Tyson Jones. I don't even care. The guy's name doesn't even matter. But he's putting a picture out of a goal being scored, and he says, oh, I don't even score this goal, but it's still fun to look at. Like, can we can we move on already? Like, maybe you should be worried about your second round opponent rather than sitting here and talking about a team that you swept. They don't know who it's gonna be yet. They know who it's gonna be. They <laughs> know who it's gonna be. No, it's not gonna be no. Minnesota. Props to you, Minnesota. But look, the part the reason this is my junk drawer is I am physically <laughs> done with Philip Grubauer. I'm physically, mentally. Emotionally Emotionally There might be another part That I'm done with too I just can't think of it right now Okay So go back to May 20th Of course when Jordan Bennington Comes down the ice At the end of the game And he came down the ice Because Grubauer took a hack At Kyle Clifford's legs yeah, Grubauer, yeah, That's a... what Binnington does Grubauer after the game Says oh, Now the tweet just left on me Ding it Grubauer after the game He says Look some of one of these days Somebody is going to Answer the bell against that guy And I hope they do meaning somebody goes after Jordan Bennington. Now he tweets a picture out of Bennington coming down the ice and talking to him on Instagram and Twitter. And he says memories from round one and his post game press conference after the series is about Jordan Bennington. Like buddy. Can we get over Jordan Bennington already Like why do you have this weird fascination with him I mean Bennington brings this on himself Okay but to sit there <laughs> To be fair That's fine but to sit there and say I hope somebody answers the bell And act like a tough guy And not drop the gloves with him Bennington's gonna do this stuff That's what he gets So why doesn't Grubauer do something about it then because it's a playoff game and if he does he's taking himself out of the series that's a joke philip grubauer you're a wimp and i'm done with the talking but the best part about all of this is and and we all can appreciate this right and to clarify here i don't have an issue with the fact
3: that bennington does it but if you're going to do it yes eventually somebody's going to fight you that's
4: fine (laughs) but somebody might need to rather than just tweet pictures about like oh somebody i hope does something about this but the reason i bring all of this up we all love the fact that Yadier Molina is a villain in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah. Like, everywhere he goes, he gets booed. Well, Jordan Binnington has now become that villain. And frankly, I am so freaking happy about it. Listen to him talk about it earlier today.
8: I don't mind it. I think I like to play hard, and um, I'm competitive. And,
3: you know, we're competing out there. It's There's no friends, and, you know, things happen, and emotions are high. And that's kind of the beauty in the game, really, to me. And I don't really care, no.
4: Jordan Binnington... I love everything about you, Philip Grubauer. Here's to me hoping you choke in four games in the next round. And we'll tweet a picture out about that. Memories from round two. Jerk. A little aggressive. You okay okay? Grubauer's with a fake tough guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jamie Rivers. <laughs> Jamie Rivers would agree. I'm done. You all right, bud? That was my junk drawer because it's just pure junk that these guys just, like, can we move on already? Like, it's the guy when he breaks up with his girlfriend and he'll just send, like, random text messages just trolling the girlfriend. It's like, can we just move on? Like, like we're done with this already. Do we really need to a pic- a post pictures? You totally did that, uh, didn't you? You know what happened to me all the time. I'm just. Awesome. That's a weird that, it's That's a weird flat. <laughs> You good, bud? Is no. This? Is this enough I'm for you? So, I hate Colorado so much after a series. I have this dire hatred for a team when they beat you in the first round. Oh,
3: it's the worst. Like, like oh. You
4: remember how much I hated Vancouver last year. Yeah. God, I was so sick of them.
3: Yeah, like, I'm uh, so glad they didn't have to play one another Like our guy,
4: Andrew Marsh, who runs the board for us on Blues Games and, and is filling in uh, producing throughout the show's he, he was talking about it and he said, man, I just don't want to see Vegas advance to the next round because of Petrangelo. And I said, are you kidding me? I hope Vegas sweeps Colorado and then Vegas can lose in the next round. <laughs> I don't want to see one person celebrate on that Colorado Avalanche team. Hey, I hate that team, but I'll be damned if that team isn't awesome. But God, they were good. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Philip Grubauer, I hope you choke in the second round. I, I hope Petro
3: goes on and wins the title. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be rooting for Vegas against them, but um, the Avs, they when you win... You end up getting to be able to write the history. i Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's one fourteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, the White Sox assistant GM and director of player development, Chris Katz, is going to join the show. I want to ask him what it's like right now to be in a front office where you actually have a minor league system to pay attention to. Chris Katz joins us next on
2: 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Celebrity Line to be joined by Chris Getz. He's the White Sox assistant general manager. He is the director of player development for them. Chris, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm
8: doing great. How you guys doing?
3: Doing all right. Would be doing better if your White Sox would have taken it a little easier yeah. on the Cardinals Ease last up night. These <laughs> next two games, Chris.
8: Well, you know, we were on a little skid over, you know, coming, coming off a New York trip. So to be honest with you, we needed the win, but uh, <laughs> sorry it happened
3: to you guys, I guess. It's all right. We'll accept it because Lance Lynn, we're, we're fans of him here in St. That's Louis, fair. so we'll go take LR. it.
8: And
4: TLR, so we love it.
3: <laughs> Chris, what's this new role been like for you? You were promoted in the offseason to assistant general manager. You've, you've held the role of play, director of player development now for a few years. What does it mean to be an assistant general manager? For uh, those of us on the outside, what what are you? What does your role entail on a day-to-day basis?
8: Well, i it certainly depends on what part of the year um, we're in now. Uh, as of right now, I mean, we're, we're we're talking, and thankfully we've got a minor league season going on because it was different last year, obviously. But uh, you know, I, I've been I've been very lucky to be part of a front office that has involved me in a lot of different areas, uh, whether it be on the major league acquisition front, uh, certainly amateur draft and uh, player development, and you know, my primary for fo- our primary focus uh remains in player development uh i I enjoy the the beauty of player development is you know you 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 certainly get so many different pieces uh of an organization but uh you really get to see a lot of these players grow up and hopefully graduate their way to the big leagues and have success there uh but you know the new role i can't say it's really changed from what i've done in the past uh other than the fact that i continue to 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 communicate um you know with kenny and rick and jeremy haber within our front office and mike shirley on the uh, on the amateur side and marco patty on the international side and uh try to get these guys to the big leagues uh you never feel like you're you, you've got enough uh enough players in the minor leagues um so we just continue to drive and push forward and thankfully we're having some success it's been Uh, A bit of a long road here the last couple of years, uh, understandably, as we went into this whole thing. But we're starting to uh, have some success at the major league level, and there's nothing more fun than that. Chris, how
4: nice is it to have a minor league season now? I mean, the the difference that last year was where all you're really concerned is the alternate camp where these guys are training and then checking in on prospects who really have no baseball to be played. What's been the biggest difference for you now that you have all of these minor league camps or uh, seasons going on?
8: Well, you, you know, I, I just I felt so bad for some of these players to to have something like this taken away from them. You know, you you you're drafted or you sign a contract to be a professional uh, baseball player, and then all of a sudden you don't get the opportunity to progress in your career. So just to have them at affiliates, uh, competing on a, a nightly nightly basis, I, I I get excited, you know, that night or you know the following morning, reading reports, communicating to our coaching staff. Um, going down to the affiliates, seeing our players, uh, you know, just in comparison to last year. And although I I do feel like we made the best of the situation at the alternate site uh, and certainly, you know, during, during our season last year with, with players going up and down and we've got a, 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 you're not playing outside competition, but you're asking these players to compete at the highest level. That was a challenging task in which I do feel like we did a pretty good job, but there's nothing that can replicate playing real games uh and to be back doing that is very refreshing um and uh you know it's it's uh, we're a couple weeks in here and you know there, there's some 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 surprises some good some bad um but we've got some some Uh, We've got plenty of time to to let this play out and get a better better understanding of what we have in our system.
3: We're talking to the White Sox assistant GM and the director of player development, Chris Getz, here on 101 ESPN. Chris, one of the storylines throughout the offseason was the innings for pitchers coming off of a full year not throwing. And that's both at the big league level and definitely for the guys in the minor league level that, that literally did not have a season last year how has that played out this year compared to your expectations? Are, are there guys that are, are bouncing back better than expected? Is it a, a concern for you guys as you get later on into the minor league season? How, how have you as the white Sox, kind of approached the inning situation for your young guys?
8: Well, you know, the oftentimes um I, yeah, I guess in comparison to past years, we'd have our starters built up uh, to a certain point going into this season where we had a, a, a shortened minor league spring training. Now, some of those players were in major league camp, and we had a little bit more time for a, a ramp-up. Uh, but those, those innings count as well. And, uh, you know, we, we ain't, our, our, our starting point for opening day in the minor league season was a little under what we've had in the past. Rosters have expanded. Uh, MLB has given us a little bit more flexibility for rosters. We've got off days regularly on Mondays. Uh, to bounce back and give our guys a little bit of a breather, um, a little you know, a bit more flexibility in, in, in regards to transactions. So you know I, I'd say that, that we're in a pretty good position to to space this out, uh, put our pitchers at at the right pace. but to be honest with you, it's a bit uncharted um, and there's going to have to be regularly monitored uh, monitoring from our, our pitching coaches or from our training staff. Obviously there's a, da- a data collection standpoint. Um, you know, all these factors will come into to setting out plans for our pitchers and keep these guys healthy and productive.
4: Chris, one thing I am curious about from the player development side, the White Sox have been major players over the last few seasons in the international market. What's the difference in development when it comes to younger players from the international market compared to players coming out of the MLB draft?
8: Well, you, you, can, you can sign the international player at a younger, at a younger age so uh when when let's say you were around a player at 17 18 years old obviously on the uh domestic side you're looking at 18 19 year olds so um you know they're a little bit more advanced even though we we, we all know that that's pretty pretty uh young age as well and then obviously the college guys that are coming in at more 21 but the international player it really depends on the background uh where where they trained Uh, prior how much baseball have they actually played is this player more played more uh in showcases um did he have a a quality place to uh, from a diet and training standpoint did he have good baseball instruction you know these are all things that need to 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 be part of um kind of the the process and understanding uh in regards to expectations um and, and and plans moving forward so it is case to case um you know but I'd say generally speaking you know we, we get guys over to our academy we get to know them they get a better understanding of our our um, the, our white sox our white sox way our, our process here and then bring them over to the states and get them rolling here um, and you know so, some of those guys take to it quickly take, some take to it um, take a little bit longer but um, you know we've been we've had a lot of success over in the international front and you know, credit to, to Marco Patty and, and his crew. Um, they've really helped us uh, in in uh, giving us some championship-type players, and and we're we're doing the same now on the domestic side. And you know, and once again, being back in or being in player development, allowing or having the ability to, to work with these guys and see them grow up, it's very gratifying.
3: And one of the great success stories for your development plan with the White Sox, Chris, is what we're seeing right now with your mean Mercedes, and we saw it last night on full display against the Cardinals as well. The kid's batting three fifty. It seems like he hits a home run every other night. Did you know that this was in play for him this year? I mean, I, we hadn't really seen him in the big leagues. You get to watch him more in the minors. What did you expect from him coming into the season?
8: Well, you know, I, I we certainly, have, you know, we've seen the talent of Yermin, uh the last couple of years, and when we were fortunate to get him in the in the minor league phase of the Rule Five draft, uh, you know, he 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 had a lot of offensive success. He had some defensive success too, that that perhaps is not talked about as much. He's one of our top catch and throw guys, and uh, very positive framing numbers. But I, I will say the offense has always stood out. It was just a matter of getting the opportunity at the major league level. And, and I don't think anyone expected this type of uh, immediate success. Um, you know, the one thing I will say is, and although, you know, if you you, you look at his swing and break down his swing, he's got tremendous uh, feel for his timing. He does have some moving parts, but he's always in a very good position to hit. He's very strong. He uses the whole field. He's very disciplined within his approach. And Tony talked about it last night, and it's been certainly talked about here uh, in the beginning of the season, of how good he's been with two strikes, and that's the discipline. Um, you don't have a lot of players that are willing to do that nowadays. Um, he's got the skill set to do it, but to go out there and execute on a regular basis, being, being that it's his first time in the major leagues, I you know certainly have to tip your hat to 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 what he's doing right now. Um, and you know, I, I think he's got a chance to be. To, to I don't. It's tough to say that this will be sustainable for the you know the the entire season, but. The, with this approach, if he sticks to it, he's going to have a lot of success.
4: Is there a point, Chris? And maybe this is a case-by-case uh, situation as well. But is there a point with younger players when they're coming up through the system that an age, maybe, or just a uh, an affiliate that they get into, where you sit there and you say, "Okay, this guy's ready for the show. This guy's ready for a chance at the big leagues."
8: You know, there 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 are cases where perhaps they're. Let's say they're not at AAA; they're at Double A. You know, rarely will you have a player in A-ball that you feel like, um, you know, is, is, is ready to make his debut at the major league level. Um, we certainly would move him along. But there are some times where, you know, you know the, it could be a double-A situation where, you know, the conversations that you're having with them, the understanding of themselves, uh, the approach, the professionalism, um, you know, no, no, moments just are never seem too big, very even-keeled um kind of salivate for for the stage so to speak there are some o- occasions where we feel like a player will be able to make that jump i would say they're rarer um than than, than the guy coming up from triple a but you know certainly there there's on the pitching front there's an understanding of of, uh, of his pitch mix and execution and command uh controlling the running game um and You know, there's certainly a game awareness and being able to navigate while things aren't going your way as well. Where, okay, if this guy's really checking all of these boxes, perhaps he he needs to be challenged at the major league level. And on the hitting front, um, you know, does he have an approach that's going to match up to, to what we believe in at the major league level? And if that's the case and we feel like he has the makeup to do so, then we'll go ahead and do it. We're not scared to do it. We've done that in the past.
3: Another couple of minutes here with Chris Getz, the White Sox assistant GM and the director of player development for Chicago. I wanted to ask you about the rule changes that we have seen in the minors this year and how that kind of plays into some of your uh, your development for your players and your affection for them, Chris, because triple A, you've got slightly larger bags down in the lower levels. We've heard so much about the stolen bases that you're seeing in a ball and the pitch clock that's down in certain leagues. What is for for you? I'm sure you know a little bit more about these than we do here in St. Louis. What what has it been like for you to see some of these rules implemented, and how does that change the evaluation for some of your players at those lower levels?
8: I wouldn't say that the evaluation changes much. Um, you know, I guess controlling the running game. You know, pickoffs. Obviously, you're, you're you're limited to the amount of pickoffs at low A, and you have to disengage with the rubber at, at high A. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are those are factors when, when when you're evaluating. I guess that that component of the game, but I wouldn't say their overall tool set, uh, their skills, their their evaluation of uh, what type of major league player we think they're going to be, uh, is affected. Um, you know, I, I spoke to to our managers today with how they felt about not only personally felt about it, but the players with some of the rule changes. They felt it was a little premature to to to, to judge whether they liked it or not. I think it. At AAA with the larger bases, if you if you surveyed the players, uh, which we're in the process of doing, uh, I predict that the the feedback would be, well, we didn't even know that they were larger. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I think that's going to take some time to to see if it's really had an effect one way or the other. Um, and you know, at, at AA right now with infielders having to be on the dirt, and, and there's rumors of uh, potentially having to have your defenders or your infielders two on one, two on one side of second base, two on the other, um, you know, just to, 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 to kind of play with the, the idea of the, uh, of not shifting. Uh, and that effect that that'll be fairly, fairly telling, but I will say it's a bit premature uh, to make any judgment even here personally. And, and certainly I like gathering the feedback from the players and uh, players and staff, uh, but time will tell. I can't say that there's been a giant affect one way or the other i do think the the pace of play getting in the box getting in the mound is very important for this game um i i I think fans appreciate that i think there's a difference between uh you know the pace of play and then length of game if you're chasing length of game i think you're going to have some adjustments that are certainly different than just moving the game along uh just from a from an attention and attraction standpoint um so but I, I so i do believe that some things are more the, uh, more important than the other but i also understand why we're trying these different rules to see if we can spark Uh, A greater fan base as
3: well. I think the one that that stands out to me is is the stolen base numbers that we're seeing down in the in the A ball right now. There was a story from Jason Stark the other day in the Athletic about it, and he was saying basically the numbers that you're seeing. And as you said, Chris, it is super early right now, but they are like even higher on a rate basis than what you saw from the Cardinals during the Whitey Ball era. Like (laughs) it's crazy some of the stolen base numbers down there. So we'll we'll see if that levels out. a little bit, but do do you think if, if it stays that way, do you think that's good for the game, Chris?
8: You know what? I, I, I think that if there is more action on the base pass, um, uh, I think that is good for the game. Now, now how we're going about accomplishing that, I don't know exactly what that solution is. Um, I I do believe that, that, um, that type of activity on the field fans are going to, to enjoy. Um, But it is still about getting on base Uh, hitting doubles and scoring runs um, you know and then there's a risk factor in stolen bases now if the risk is much less to get thrown out perhaps you're taking more chances where uh, and that's certainly a possibility here and we know that they're trying to accomplish that but I think more action on the field is 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 very important here Um, and you know we, we look across the game whether it be the major league level and the minor league level and uh, what type of offensive numbers we're seeing in the alarming amount of strikeouts. There does need to be an adjustment of some sort. I can't say that I have the clear solution right now, but uh, I, I know we're we're certainly trying as an
7: industry to try to improve it.
3: He's Chris Getz, White Sox assistant GM, and from everything you read, a future general manager in this game. He's also their director of player development. Chris, I was a Royals fan growing up. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, being able to see your rise in the industry and having the opportunity to talk with you today. Thanks so much for hopping on with us.
2: Well,
8: thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks,
3: Chris. Absolutely. That's Chris Gets joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'm fascinated by those stolen base numbers, yeah, Alex, because if you – let, let's say that it stays this way and it sustains and you're starting to see basically a track meet down at the low and high A ball. If that were implemented in the majors two, three, four years from now, I do think it completely changes the way you construct your roster. Oh,
4: my gosh, yeah.
3: I mean, if, you, if you're telling me now, hey – Basically, anybody can run like Matt Carpenter suddenly becomes a valuable commodity because he can get on base at such a high clip. You Whoa. know,
4: OK, that's where you lost me.
3: I'm serious. I'm Be-
4: over overhyped there.
3: <laughs> Those guys that are the, the all or nothing hitters, they lose a little bit of value because now the guy that's getting on base consistently and can steal second for you. Well, that's that's no
4: different than hitting a double.
3: Yeah. Because the success rate is so high. So I, I am fascinated to see what this means moving yeah, forward. I think for- a
4: lot of people listening would agree. If we can get Whitey Ball back into the majors, I'm all for that. There's some excitement for it. The you.
3: question though is like Whitey Ball was great because you had such great athletes that were a part of it. Yeah. When Whitey Ball is Matt Carpenter and Albert Pujols getting their 30th stolen base of the season in late July. Is that fun or is that just like, what are we doing here?
4: Uh, it might be a little bit more of what are we doing here. <laughs> exactly.
3: Yeah. So I'll be curious to see what that looks like with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, Aaron Rodgers finally made public comments on why he's so upset. Are we buying it? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: You're still not thrilled with the Green Bay Packers.
4: Okay. What else is new? Breaking
3: news of the day. (laughs) The OTAs for the Packers have officially begun. Aaron Rodgers is not there right now, but he did have time last night. Very kind of him to join on Kenny Maine's final sports center episode he joined him on espn and aaron Rodgers, of course was asked about the disconnect between himself and the organization
7: it's just kind of about a, a philosophy you know and and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go it's about it's about character it's about culture it's about doing things the right way and a lot of this was put in motion last year and uh the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when i won mvp and played uh, the way i played last year so this is just kind of i think uh, the the spill out of all that but okay
4: a hey, raj like can we stop beating around the bush here like just say you want your money like you can't talk about the culture because you you were a game a win away from the super bowl like it has nothing to do with culture and it has everything to do with not being paid the money you feel like you're worth
3: i think there's some truth to that i also think rogers is very spiteful I think we know that about him by now at this point in his career. Um, And I think he looks at the general manager and says, you didn't believe in me. You had a lack of faith in me. I know I'm 36 years old. I know you guys feel like you want to move on to your next thing. I'm still really good about really good at this playing quarterback thing. And you were ready to move on a year too soon instead of a year too late.
4: Why? Because they drafted a quarterback? Correct. But he wasn't even a part of the roster. It's not like he was his backup quarterback. This was a guy who was basically drafted and sitting in the on the benches watching exactly.
3: the play. Exactly. And so if I'm Aaron Rodgers, and this is just me playing devil's advocate here a little bit, I think he's making a little bit too much of this personally. Um, but... If I'm looking at it through Aaron Rodgers' lens and why he's so furious right now, he's probably saying something to the degree of, yeah, you guys drafted a player in the first round, traded up for him to do nothing with him. He's not going to help our team win over the next two years while I'm the quarterback. So how does that help us? It does not help Aaron Rodgers. It does help the Packers. If Jordan Love's good, well, now you have your replacement plan already in place. Same thing that happened with Rodgers and Brett Favre. Gave them an extra 15 years in their window. Well worth it. It was the, the right decision to do at the time. That also requires Jordan Love to be good. But the other thing I would say is, hey, Rodgers, you weren't nearly as good in 2019 as you were last year. In 2019, you threw 26 touchdowns and four interceptions. The year prior to that, 25 touchdowns. The year before that, you got hurt, 16 touchdowns. Last year, you threw 48. You were better. We drafted a quarterback, and you raised your game. You fixed your footwork. So, yeah, we were getting ready to move on from you because it looked like you were about to go over the ledge that Peyton Manning did. So how can you blame
4: us for that? A.A. Ron, don't hate, appreciate. Just go out there and play. Also if if I'm the Packers, there's one simple solution to this. Like, I I just saw Matt LaFleur apparently had a comment saying they're trying to work through this. There's one simple way to fix this. You trade a first-round draft pick this year for Julio Jones. Yeah. Because you're not going to do anything with that first-round pick anyway. It's going to be a late pick, and you seem to just draft offensive linemen or defensive players, which doesn't really help you. Trade that first-round pick, get yourself Julio Jones— Aaron Rodgers is buying back into this system, and you're talking about a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, give
3: Aaron Rodgers a race, mm-hmm. Go trade for Julio Jones and go
4: win yourself a title. Exactly. That's you how know, you fix this.
3: This doesn't have to be that difficult, and I, I think that he's going to end up playing for Green Bay this year,
4: if I had to guess.
3: I don't, if you're Green Bay, why would you trade him?
4: Why? You, you just you, hold on to him. Unless you really feel like, Jordan Love can help you, but here's the thing Devontae Adams has said that if they trade away Rodgers, he wants out. So now you're talking about basically going into a rebuild if you lose two of your best players.
3: Yeah. I just I, I think he's he'll end up being back with them. They'll get the money done, like you said earlier, Alex. They're gonna probably go out and I I would think they'll be a, a significant player in the Julio Jones market and th- that's how this thing kind of moves.
4: Remember forward. this, T Bone. Get a little tattoo on your chest for your collarbone for the ladies. Don't hate. Appreciate.
3: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, We'll
2: cross things over next.
7: It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy.
2: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: Studio. Yeah, He's we a former are. superstar oh, blues defenseman oh, yeah.
1: crossing things over with the fast land. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. Just, um, you know, drowning my sorrows oh. of the playoff season being over and all that good stuff. Yeah. At least we got the Cardinals on a winning streak. Yes. Nope. Yeah, well, right. they looked good for five innings. Well, five and two
3: Pitching looks good for five well, innings. Can we Their talk about
1: Lance Lynn for a second? They were up one nothing. Huh? When did Lance Lynn become Big John Studd? Do you remember that wrestler? Alex? I do
4: remember that wrestler. That's an amazing <laughs> reference. I was looking at him
1: on the mound, and I'm like, look at the size of you Lance Lynn right there. It now. also
4: reminds me of Butterball the Boxer. You remember uh, Butterball? Butterbean. 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 Butterball. Well, why would Butterbean. You butterball, Alex? Well, because he looks like a Butterball. Oh, wow. It's the bald head, though. But Lance is like, he's got the barrel
1: chest oh, yeah. too. Like, He's got that country. He's actually slimmed down a little bit. He has. has. He? Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever hey, it is, it's worth Those
4: guys don't get injured, Jamie.
1: No, they don't. You can't pull fat, right? No,
4: that's what somebody texted. I can't say that because I don't want that to sound like I'm making well, fun of fat people.
1: No, you're too skinny. You can't say yeah, that. Yeah, I see it. That's very true. So are you and so are you.
4: So <laughs> oh. I'll carry the load for every <laughs> <trigger>. <laughs> Jamie, I got, a, I got a problem.
1: Yeah? Okay. I, I need about. your help
4: with this. Yeah. Uh, Philip Grubauer. Yeah, grubby. He loves to run run his mouth. He loves sure to does. run his mouth right now, and he decides to send out tweets. Is this one of those uh, fake tough guys? Well, yeah, obviously, because you had all the time
1: in the world. And, and instead of addressing it yeah. in person, you push send, well, Alex, we see these people every day. Like, how, you have Twitter. That's true. That's, <laughs> I mean,
3: you, you're talking about me like, I'm not in the room right now. <laughs> how, how, do you,
7: how do
4: you sit there, though, and send out a tweet and do your Zoom press conferences by talking about, I hope somebody steps up against them right now. And when you had the chance in front of you at the end of a hockey game. Yeah.
3: Can I say uh, I liked it? Am, am well, I allowed to say that? Of course he does. Am I he allowed does. To, or is this is like a this safe space guy. where I shouldn't be saying stuff like okay, that? Okay,
1: so tell me please why you like God. it. Tell me how
3: you think it's a good thing. Get him, Jamie. So, I no, I just been, want to
1: hear what he, what's going on. I didn't on. have
3: an issue with it because, like, why didn't he do it in that spot? Because it's the playoffs. And if he did anything, he's about Can't to get suspended. Talk about <laughs> he's not going to get suspended. But then why talk about it? And why put a picture out about it? Because Bennington has put him in the spot where he is now a target. He's the villain. And so he was asked about Jordan Bennington. And when you're asked about him, yeah, I'm going to give an honest answer. I don't like the dude. Yeah. I, I think somebody needs to shut him up. And But what wouldn't you that's say? That's probably the perception around the league, I would imagine. We love it here in St. Louis. I like jo- uh, the way that Jordan Bennington plays. I love the fire around the league i would imagine most other fan bases do not like jordan bennington very much but if
1: you had any liberty bells at all right you would in the handshake line then you'd say hey listen dude not for nothing congrats or a good series you know whatever sorry about your luck but next year we're going like you get it out of the way you don't go over to
4: the the media on a zoom and did you see their handshake line when they met literally grubauer didn't open his mouth he did the head nod to bennington He's terrified. Yeah, he's afraid of them. I just don't like
1: anything to do with social media where there's like a poke where what what is the, what can you do? Right. Like what's the retaliation? Ooh, I'm going to send you a mean tweet. Send. Well-
4: and that's the part for me too. Like, why are we spending? If I'm the Colorado Avalanche, why are we spending our time trolling the team that we just swept in a series? Maybe we should be a little concerned about the second round matchup for this, this playoff.
3: Round. I mean, so for what it's worth, the Grubauer comments were an oppressor, right? He was asked no, about this on Instagram, Instagram too. He, well, he he posted he on Instagram, down. but he, yeah. he and then Tyson Jones did it too. He was asked about it in a Zoom. So why why is he answering about it? Because he was asked about it. Like I if if the Blues are asked about the Avalanche, why are they still talking about it? We should be moving on, right? Yeah. Well, be. Because that's what just took place. Yeah, but the
1: way to handle that would yeah. be like, hey, look, it's an intense moment. I'm sure he was angry at that point. It wasn't the time for us to do battle. You know, in the future, if it presents itself, I'm sure myself or somebody else will take that offer. I don't. Know, maybe I, just leave it at that. That's
4: a better answer. That's Instead what he of, should have said. Maybe I Someone's
1: t- going to answer on the bell and he's going to be sorry.
4: Maybe I sound like the guys from Boston <laughs> after they lost in Game 7 where they were complaining about Jordan Bennington looking like a kid. You remember them just going off on... It was a radio show in Boston. Like they started complaining after game seven about how Jordan Bennington looked like a teenager and he shouldn't have beaten them in the playoffs.
1: Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but good for
4: them. It it just, I sound
3: like those guys complaining, I guess. It's an angle. You know how Beatsy always says, if you don't like it, play better. If the Blues don't like this stuff, like go beat them. Don't give me the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. You, you. You lost head to head. You got swept. You got your butt kicked. And a lot of that has to do with injuries. A lot of that has to do with the health situation for the Blues. They never were able to get fully healthy this year. I get all of that. Those disclaimers are all fair. But. The Avs beat you fair and square, and so what do they get to do?
1: Did now they? they get to
4: trash talk yeah. you a little bit.
1: Did they? Yeah. Fair? I don't know Eight if it's— Eight-game suspension for Kadri, no. nothing for Joe's? Yeah. The Abs beat you head to head.
4: i stand I'm just messing. I stand by my statement. I hope Grubauer chokes in four games in the second round. That's fair.
1: Well, it might not have to choke. It might just be
3: over in four, too. You never know. Hallelujah. Vegas, pretty damn good. Uh, Jamie, what's coming up today on the fast lane? Man? Well,
1: we're going to talk about the Cardinals and all of the great things that are going on there. They're going through a little bit of what the St. Louis Blues had this year—the uh, the next man up mentality. <sighs> Harrison Bader goes out yesterday. Um, you know, KK can't get through six innings. We'll see how that plays out. We're going to talk about the Blues certainly and some of the exit meetings. David Perron, some interesting things that he said there. We're going to talk to Kevin Weeks. We got a little nice. bit of a national perspective. Uh, of what the series looked like for him. Uh, what Jordan Bennington did in the series. And also what he sees about this Blues team moving forward.
3: You guys talking about those Jack Eichel comments at all? No.
1: Jamie. I, Jamie's had it with that stuff. That, that's Elliot Friedman, I love you, but your clickbait is terrible.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: That, if they, you want to well,
3: hear comments on that, we yeah. talked about it yeah. earlier Just today. skip that one segment oh, on the last show last earlier today. But just think about <laughs> yeah.
1: it for a second. Vladimir Tarasenko would have to waive his no-trade clause to go to Buffalo.
3: Yeah, okay. Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back (laughs)
2: tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN.
7: It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy.
2: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.